that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where lower the friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Secrets of Saturn live stream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. How are y'all doing out there? I see our chat room is building up quick, both on the DLive and the YouTubes. Hopefully we won't have any repeat of last week. Ahem. But anyway, uh, this week we're going to have a discussion what, on... What happened, la what happened last week, Jason? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Okay. I think everything I, was okay. just totally copacetic. But uh, Wayne is with That's me perfect. here, as usual, and the great Baldini. And we're going to be having a discussion on consciousness. 
kind of more of a philosophical Which is great thing. Because we, all think we're, we all think we're kind of conscious anyway, so I don't mm-hmm. know. I think it's a great topic <laughs> for this be a week good because conversation. I'm fairly close to unconscious. I uh, accidentally <clears throat> took two doses of my uh, <clears throat> very powerful opioid painkiller today. Um, I had forgotten I'd taken it earlier, so I took one in the morning and then I forgot I'd taken it, so I took another one at lunch. And <laughs> Do that less. Mm, do that less. I'm I'm with you on that one all mm-hmm. day long, Jason. Do that uh, less. So yeah, when we're done, I'll pass out and uh, don't don't worry, Rose. I'll be I'll be there for the poppycock report uh, <laughs> bright and early tomorrow morning, as, as usual. That's so. what coffee's for. Exactly, and I make the world's best coffee. It's so good it makes you swear when you when you have a sip. I make a variation <laughs> on. I'm gonna on have your coffee. to try some. You are Wayne. It's it's uh, fantabulous. It really is good. My my wife will, uh, uh, sh- she'll uh, she she bears witness. She'll she'll give you a hallelujah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna do consciousness. Uh, who wants to set this up, Wayne? I think you're the man. Well, before we get started on that, I wanna I just wanna talk about something real quick here, and it's, it's something again. very very simple. But apparently, there's a lot of goobers out there whose brains don't work, and I wonder if they have consciousness. Uh, this thing behind me. It's called a mandala. I got it for, I think, 16 bucks on Amazon because I thought it looked cool. I liked the colors. But here's what a mandala is in case you are a clueless goober. A Hindu or Buddhist graphic symbol of the universe. A circle enclosing a square, possibly with a deity on each side. This one does not because I don't subscribe to any single deity. That is used chiefly, wait for it, as an aid to meditation. Meditating is something that I, in fact, do, which is why I'm so calm most of the time. Anyway... There is your PSA for the week. Who wants to start with that the consciousness you, thing? That means you worship Satan, right? Apparently in some ding-dong's eyes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go there. <sighs> yes, it's the mandala, it's the mandala effect. Um, it, is, it is the indeed the Jesus mandala work. effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the green, not to be the confused Jesus. with the mandala effect. Exactly. <laughs> something totally different. But it used to be spelled mandala, <clears> so I'm all confused now. I read about that. Mm. Indeed. So, um, Wayne, you want to you wanna be the guy to kick this off, or Jason, you want to do it? I'm going to start with just the mainstream definition of consciousness, and since okay. you guys picked yep. this topic and not me this week, I will uh, probably take a bit of a backseat here and just chime in like I want to do when I see the opportunity and my crowbar happens to be feeling rather sharp. So, consciousness, at its simplest, is awareness or sentience of internal or external existence. Despite centuries of analyses, definitions, explanations, and debates by philosophers and scientists, consciousness remains puzzling and controversial, being at once the most familiar and most mysterious aspect of our lives. Perhaps the only widely agreed notion about the topic is the intuition that it exists. Opinions differ about what exactly needs to be studied and explained as consciousness. Sometimes it is synonymous with the mind, other times just an aspect of the mind. In the past, it was one's inner life, the world of introspection, of private thought, imagination, and volition. Today, with modern research into the brain, it often includes any kind of experience, cognition, feeling, or perception. It may be awareness or awareness of awareness or self-awareness. I personally would say it would be the... uh, Capability to realize self-existence, I think, would be a very easy way to put it, but there's more to it than that. But anyway, 
I'll kick it to whichever you gentlemen want to take it next. I think we got the general idea from the mainstream blurb. Yeah, now, generally, uh, when it comes to the idea of consciousness, this kind of really throws a, uh, a monkey wrench in the works for the materialist view when it comes down to it. Uh, you know, when you're looking at your secular humanist view where everything is based on hyper-materialism here, uh, everything's a, a physical thing. They don't look at spiritual aspects. They look at just purely the physical world. The idea of consciousness really throws a, a monkey wrench into the works. So they come up yeah. with all kinds of different ways to try to describe what it is. And they basically uh, what most of what, quote unquote, mainstream science uh, will think of it as is the byproduct of a chemical electrical effect of the processing of your brain. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what they slough it off as. And they, they kind of uh, boil it all down to a computer algorithm. And this is what they they determine is consciousness from this purely physical hyper-materialistic concept. It's a byproduct of the electrical activity of your nervous system. And mm -hmm. that's how they define it from the hyper-materialist view. So this is well, how that is a, yeah, modern a science is looking at it. So that, that this is the thing. Let's lay down the groundwork for that, first of all. This is how well, that's a, uh, let's like also your current say that, paradigm of... Go ahead, Baldini. Well, I was going to say, let's also just say that um, well, you're right when you say the modern view, uh, but that is a more much more recent view within the last couple, 300 years. Um, prior to that, uh, it was a much deeper and much more philosophic viewpoint, and only with the advent of really uh, the twin, you know, looks of uh, reductionism and hyper-materialism uh, has it come to that view that it is uh, really just a byproduct of electro, um, you know, electronic uh, Neuro, um, synapses, right? The the synapse and uh, neuron. Um, whenever you just, it's basically a chemical reaction is the way that they're looking at it. And um, and yet, <laughs> you know, everything uh, when you begin to look at it deeply, everything blows that apart. And in fact, uh, the closer you look at this particular problem, which is considered one of the biggest problems in both science and philosophy, um, the mind-body problem, uh, it, it knocks huge holes in all of hypermaterialism, all the way to um, the heliocentric model, all the way to many of the physical models that they present and scientism at its core. Uh, so this is uh, in part why I chose this particular one, um, because top to bottom, uh, all the way uh, from materialism itself and reductionism, all the way to the uh, to the creation of general artificial intelligence, um, this uh, this really is sticks in the craw uh, of uh, of scientism. So that's in particular why uh, I chose this topic tonight. Um, so uh, back to you, Wayne. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a wonderful topic to explore because uh, when it comes down to it, the modern view of science with this with this hyper materialist view cannot adequately explain what it is, and uh, you know this all boils down to some basic things that were taught in our school system, uh, in our science classes and stuff, and and basically they try to uh, categorize everything in this little box of physicality. And consciousness is not something that necessarily fits into the physicality model of things that they have. So that's kind of why they try to cram it together and boil it down to an algorithm because it's, you know, in, in the view of this modern science, and this is the, the stance that most of your uh, transhumanist proponents take, is your consciousness could be boiled down to just an algorithm because 
essentially all it is is a byproduct of the electrical activity of your nervous system. So if that's the case, then if they could reproduce that, they could reproduce your consciousness. And that's their viewpoint. But I see deep flaws in that viewpoint simply because there are so many things that that model does not explain about consciousness. And those are the things we're going to talk about tonight, uh, specifically things like uh, morphic resonance and things like that. And uh, Baldini, I know you got a lot on that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, go ahead and you know that, that whole transhumanism thing, I almost think it's like a funny joke that's going to be on them at some point in the future. That even if computers get to a point where they could literally map out every tiny little thing in the brain and, and copy it all as ones and zeros of data, how are you going to get the consciousness in there? I think they're still going to die and pass into whatever the netherworld truly is. And sure, there might be an artificial representation, like a snapshot taken of them at that time, but... I don't think they're really going to be there, nor do I think if they could be there, it would be what they think it is. Right. And, uh, you know, again, back to, um, you know, to Wayne's uh, topic about how it's they consider it just an algorithm that not only could, um, you know, they they predict it and duplicate it, but really this idea of a singularity, right, that you could uh, download the consciousness into a mainframe and that you could continue on that way and, and being an internal being. And, of course, this this idea has been presented numerous times in a, in a number of, uh, you know, films and sci-fi um, uh, books as well. Um, so preparing people for this idea and getting people excited about the idea that they could um, be, you know, merged with machine, man and machine merged together uh, that would make you superhuman and immortal. Um, but as we uh, explore, um, you know, deeper <clears throat> into the into these ideas, uh, you know, and especially the idea of sentience, right? Uh, it, it, again, it knocks holes in every level uh, of the modern scientism model. And, uh, you know, all the way back to this idea of when when you look at, you know, just the basics of quantum mechanics, right? We, w when you begin to look at reductionism and the idea of reductionism basically breaking things down to its smallest possible material. And this is where quantum comes from, right? The quanta, the smallest quantifiable uh, portion. So you have these these little quanta, right? So we broke it down to atoms, and then we have subatomic particles like, um, you know, neurons and, uh, <clears throat> or rather, uh, protons and electrons. And um, <clears throat> so um, then you get into quarks, right? And, and keep going, you know, the Higgs boson particle and keep going lower and lower. And, and most of those, again, are theoretical. <clears throat> they just uh, mathematically predict them and say that they, you know, discovered them because, um, <laughs> and, you know, the bigger, the smaller the particle, the bigger the machine you have to have to, to get it until you get to the. Um, <laughs> Funny how that works, quiet, isn't it? right? It is, but exactly. It's funny how that works, that you have to have the bigger, the smaller the particle, the bigger machine you have to have to look at it. Uh, so, but when you, when you get down to it, right, it's been largely accepted since even the 1920s, early 1930s, that in the, in the study of quantum mechanics, uh, that materialism, actual material particles don't really exist. They're vibrations. And that's something that, again, most philosophers all the way through history, going far back even before um, Plato and the platonic solids, way before that, this idea that everything is resonance and frequency and vibration, um, this has been a consistent theme throughout. And yet when we try to get pushed into this hyper-materialism mode that it's material and this is where you get mass and gravity and all this stuff, uh, again – when we look closely at it, um, it, it's nonsense, right? It is there is no physicality to it. It is actually a vibration. Uh, it, it appears physical. It seems physical to our perception um, that the table seems solid. You can push on it, but when you look at it 
really closely in this, again, when this reductionistic view, uh, it turns out that it's really an electromagnetic phenomenon uh, and it has to do with polarity and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, without getting too much into the physical, you know, the, the deep scientific stuff, I don't want to blow over everybody's head, but these are uh, big topics, right? And that's really what I, I want to more look at the overview than, than really pressing too deep into it. But the idea of morphic resonance really kind of has to do with that uh, and that Everything in the universe has this sort of resonant frequency with one another, uh, and they, they influence one another to this degree. And, and here, here's a great example of this. Uh, again, I've worked uh, very closely uh, with uh, material sciences and applied physics and largely uh, in a tangent point with the uh, the music industry and recording and, and designing and building uh, articles, you know, and tools for recording and that sort of stuff. Uh, but one of the things that we know, for example, about waveforms and let's say uh, we'll take audio, uh, for example. So audio, wh what you see on the screen, if you guys have done any recording or you see things is what they show you is a transverse wave. That means it goes up and up and down, um, much as uh, you would see as a <clears throat> as a uh, alternating current, right? Electricity, but that's actually not how um, sound travels. Sound is a transverse wave, and uh, or rather a longitudinal wave, and it goes back and forth in what's called compression and rarefaction, and it has to do with uh, you know energy moving an air molecule or any media it can travel through water or steel or anything like that. So it pushes a uh, you know what we would consider a molecule. It pushes it forward, uh, and then that energy gets transferred to something else, and it moves back, and so it goes back and forth like you would think of a slinky right that's called compression and rarefaction uh, so so in that the, the process as it happens moves along until it hits your ear and then it vibrates and then you interpret that as sound and then there's this whole philosophic question if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it or perceive it did it really happen <laughs> right uh, so but but to get to the the basic idea of this um, what we can do is a, a particular frequency, like a tone on a piano, if I play a, a C, right, um, that vibrates at a particular frequency. Um, and we always talk about 432, right, being a, that's the tuning for, for A. Um, in uh, They changed it, right, in the, was it 1940s? Uh, is that right, Jason? 1940s? Uh, 30s into the 40s, like yeah. The, it started in the 30s, 30s and the 40s, then they yeah. got into the 40s, yep. Sure. And so they changed the tuning. And so way back in um, uh, in music in the medieval times, they actually um, uh, did tempered tuning and they had uh, they named them by colors. Right. The keys were named by colors instead of by by uh, letters. Uh, but if you take this a right here and that's a 440 hertz, not 432, it's 440. If you go an octave or exactly twice that frequency, 880 hertz, it's exactly an octave above. And then all the um, all the uh, the um, intervals in between are ratios of those, and you can express that numerically. Well, what happens is that the human ear we can hear uh, basically between 20 hertz or 20 vibrations per second, up to about 20,000 vibrations per second. It's very wide. But what we would find when we would make um, audio products, right, is that when you have a wider bandwidth, let's say up to 40,000 hertz, which is well beyond the limits of human hearing, or even 100,000 hertz, um, when you include those frequencies, we would find that we like the sound better. <laughs> What's that about, right? And so what we found is uh, that exactly so it's called additive synthesis and and so they would harmonize with each other and it would modulate those frequencies that you can hear uh, with the frequencies that you can't hear because they would interact with one another and all that to get back here this idea of morphic resonance is that the frequencies that happen all around you right interact with one another in such a way that they modulate and change each other and so we can really express this idea that again if you have a a thought 
right? And not just a not just a thought, but moreover, if you speak this thought and speak it into existence, um, it gives it power, and it literally interacts with the physical world around you. But even thoughts can do it. And it was a fascinating study that that I saw um, from the early 1960s, and it happened in Sweden. There was several others since then, but there was a study in, in Sweden in the 1960s, uh, early 1962-63, where they had a group of school children, and uh, for six months they had, um, uh, you know, the the positive, negative, and a control. Uh, and so they had a group of school children. I think it was like 20 or 30 school kids, and they would go into this room with these plants. Uh, and every day for about an hour, uh, the kids uh, would go in there, and one group was to think positive thoughts and happy thoughts, and then uh, another group was to think angry thoughts <clears throat> in this other group, and another um, group was going there, and they would just take a nap. Right, that was like their nap time. Uh, and uh, interestingly, the positive thoughts had a profound impact on the growth of the plants. The negative thoughts actually killed a few plants and stunted their growth. And the sleep um, did a variety of things depending on, on the plant. Some of them had improved slightly, some of them not so much. Uh, but uh, it also had to do with the proximity, how close they were uh, to the to the kids. And so um, it literally, it was one of the clearly defined studies that showed that you're just your thought process. And the kids didn't say anything. They were to be totally and uh, it was just a thought. The power of thought alone um, literally affected the plant growth. And so it was a demonstrative fact. And now, of course, we can use um, all kinds of electromagnetic testing uh, that we can we can measure these things. We can use a variety of tools, brilliant photography, that sort of stuff, to measure um, the fact that your emotional state and your thoughts literally affect the world around you, the physical world around you. Uh, and so getting all the way back to the idea uh, of um, th this uh, morphic resonance and how um, the, the quantum mechanics disproves the, the material um, and especially the hyper-materialistic world uh, is that it, the, the physicality in a way doesn't exist. And it's not to say that everything is an illusion and you can get really deep. There's a lot of guys that really talk deeply about this. Rupert um, Sheldrake, <laughs> he'll go away. Yes, and we were saying before the show, I really wish I had his, his accent because I would sound very condescending, of course, um, to all of you. Uh, I'll go and have a cup of tea. Very, very intriguing. Yes, I'll have a, a cup of TT. Um, but uh, yes, anyway, these guys, uh, many people have dedicated a lot of thought uh, to these uh, to these ideas of consciousness. And it it remains to me a fascinating uh, view. And so, um, again, that's what we wanted to explore tonight is some of the aspects uh, of this and uh, what's been demonstrated and what remains the most difficult problem uh, in all of really is science, not just um, philosophy, but neuroscience, um, neurolinguistics, uh, just about and neuroplasticity everything that deals uh, with the mind um, you know for, for example uh, it, it has long been thought with this hyper materialistic idea and um, again for two or three hundred years uh, they've been trying to uh, equate and I, I consider it a false equi equivalency um, they've been trying to equate the body with a machine and therefore uh, also the mind with a logic circuit right you're just right, a computer but, but point out before that they didn't see it that way that's a more recent right. thing. That's when scientism started coming in. Exactly. And that's what I was saying about what Wayne said uh, previously, right, is that modern science um, has this view. But pre prior to that, most of history – well, again, history is where presented and we have to – you know, it's, it's a tangent point. At least we have something to go on. I don't accept the history that's been given to us. But um, throughout most of history, uh, that was not the thought. The prevailing thoughts uh, were different. It was really Descartes, um, who, you know, who really put out the Cartesian uh, idea uh, that – that 
uh, again, this is a mechanical type thing. Uh, and for example, the idea that memories are um, stored in the brain. And when you really, it, people have tried over and over and over a countless number of times to demonstrate this, and it just doesn't hold true. You cannot prove uh, that memories are actually held in the brain itself, which brings up all kinds of crazy questions. And then, um, again, I'm sure we'll explore it further tonight. What happens when you dream, right? <laughs> and when you begin to look at these things like evolutionary biology, uh, again, evolutionary biology holds the idea that, uh, you know, we grew, we decided to become a different thing. And we develop uh, and, and, you know, we change over time into something better. And yet that doesn't make any sense at all in, in a number of different things, including, um, you know, irreducible complexity. But when you get to this idea of like, OK, in the movie Lucy, for example, and it's long been said that we only use five to 10 percent of our brain power. Well, wh why would we then um, evolve into having, you know, 90 to 95 percent more capacity than we actually use? That doesn't make any sense at all, uh, clearly. Uh, and, and it just um, it, it doesn't hold it doesn't ring true. In, in any uh, capacity and, and again in my view um, we're in a state of devolution not evolution we're becoming less and less uh, of what we once were uh, but but again um, this idea of dreaming right serves no evolutional per no evolutionary purpose it puts the body in a state of uh, extreme uh, vulnerability um, you spend you know roughly a third of your life in the state uh, but but the, the the things that happen and what has been um, viewed again dreams and dream interpretation and uh, again many ancient cultures thought this is the place that um, the gods communicated to you um, the idea of prophetic dreams has been uh, long accepted again in the past um, the, the as we get closer and closer toward the modern age uh, when they push out this hyper materialism uh, idea that they have definitely uh, you know pushed um, th this idea that anything that that is not physicality that you cannot you know touch grab smell taste uh, or hear doesn't exist right and so if you believe in anything uh, that is not material and physical that you're retarded or uh, schizophrenic right mm -hmm. uh, they, they say that you know prayer is when you talk to God and psychosis is when God talks to you <laughs> right which is something that uh, my personal experience doesn't hold true uh, but uh, in any case I, I don't want to dominate the, the conversation is this but this is something I'm obviously uh, very intrigued and fascinated by uh, and every, all the evidence that we have, uh, again, flies right in the face of the entire modern materialistic viewpoint. Uh, and everything that they try to do uh, to, sh you know, to, to research it, um, as I've always said, every time you answer a question, it just uh, it opens up ten more difficult questions um, to be answered. So, well, well, let's be honest here. Everything in the modern mainstream scientific effort is to separate us more and more and more from what we really are everything is about how much can we smash things down and rip them apart and all that as opposed to actually understanding the true nature of reality i mean even just taking spirituality for instance there's too much evidence that there's more to this universe that mainstream science for the most part still won't even accept i mean sure you have some parapsychology people and things like that who want to look into things but it's obvious to me just like the way you described with the audio example about higher frequencies and lower frequencies that may not be captured by a sample rate, that doesn't matter. Those things uh, are actually still there. They're important. So they should be there. They, it, it's actually why I record at 24-bit 96,000 kilohertz, because even though that's above the human hearing range, I, I know it is important. It is important. And those things will interact, and that's why it just sounds a little bit better. And I've even tested myself to see if I can tell the difference, especially with the more you get down with MP3s, it's lopping out so much that it should be noticeable mm -hmm. to anybody. Then th this is a good example of telling you, like, like, hey, you can't just start throwing things away from the universe or else 
you're missing something. You're missing something important. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, and I think that's the same problem with scientism. Yeah. And just as an example of that, uh, uh, like uh, Baldini was saying, he was talking about quantum science and how uh, this kind of disproves the materialist theory uh, when it comes down to it, the hypermaterialist theory. And uh, here's my thoughts on it. Okay. Quantum physics is misdescribed to us. And when you actually look at what it's really demonstrating to us, it's definitely a real thing. There's, there's a real something behind it that is causing these quantum type effects and stuff and is doing this stuff, but it's not how it's described to us because what they did is they took these ideas of frequency as such, and that everything is kind of a waveform and they condensed it into what's called an atomist philosophy. Exactly. And they tried to quantify it by making it into particles. And this is exactly what they do. They, they try to squeeze these things into the materialist viewpoint. And that's exactly what all science is about right now, what this scientism is about. It's about squeezing these things and categorizing them under the strictly hyper-materialist viewpoint, the, the hyper-physical plane. So that's how they're looking at things. And they're not looking at these different phenomena in different ways that they should be. Instead, they're describing it as a purely physical thing. So when they're doing that, uh, this is what they're doing. They're misdescribing it to us, and we're misunderstanding how it all really actually works. So when they're talking about quantum things, you could think of that as vibration, frequency, the things Tesla talked about. Exactly. That's what's really going on with that. And uh, as far as, uh, you know mind and consciousness and, and how that all equates to that you could think of it that also as frequency and we're just a tuner like, like yeah. a radio tuner oh our, bingo our physical form <laughs> yes. actually tunes in our consciousness exactly so and this, this is this the is idea kind of how it is if you if you change the radio dial you, you tune in something different and this is kind of how it works this is why everybody has kind of this different experience of consciousness and stuff because we're on different bandwidths of the, the radio dial pretty much when you That's look it, at exactly. consciousness yeah. as like right and so and now I you're mean, getting into the looking idea at, well i was gonna say, right. just real quick now you now you're getting into the idea of panpsychism right so don't let me forget that now keep going yep oh yeah i mean we're, we'll touch on that later because this is all very fascinating stuff but yeah basically this is what we're looking at like, the human body and the human mind is a tuner for our consciousness so our consciousness comes through, like your body could be equated to a radio, and as we age, the radio breaks down a little more, and we're not getting as, uh, you know, sharp or, or crisp of a, a frequency as we once were. We're not tuning it in as well, so we're getting a lot of interference or static, and uh, that's kind of why, you know, our memories start to, um, you know, diminish, and our capacities start to diminish, and we start to lose mental focus and sharpness and this is why and this is a better description of the human experience than you know just say that oh okay well my my brain runs all these chemicals through it and this is what causes my memories and you know my memory is stored in the hippocampus or wherever they say your memory is stored and this and that and yeah the brain is an important part of the tuning mechanism that we use that is this radio receiver that is your body uh, and this is kind of a metaphor, okay? I think people are, are, are getting what I'm putting down here, though. But Absolutely. I view consciousness as being something external to the body. 
and your body is the tuner for it and this is how we experience consciousness is in this body because it's you know it's it's like a radio tuning in the frequency and that is a much better view i think of how the universe really works and how consciousness really works rather than the hyper materialist view that they push in our science classes and stuff where they're trying to convince you that uh, your consciousness is nothing more than bioelectrical chemical processes going on in your nervous system and that your whole experience as a human being is all just based on this physical meat suit and except that that's you know, demonstrably that's all you are. sure right. and that's, that's demonstrably, demonstrably not true untrue. right, right. Exactly. exactly and that's, and that's the uncomfortable that's part the exactly yeah. and that's why this has been described as the most heinous problem in all of science because it's demonstrably uh, not true, right? And it, it, every time they look more closely, it disproves all of their, um, quote, theories, right? And so this idea of morphic resonance, which, again, it's just um, – it's a fascinating thing, right? And it, and it helps explain, right, some of these things. Like um, <clears throat> my wife is always fascinated by the fact that I can be dead asleep, and if she just stares at me, I will wake up, <laughs> Right. And 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 um, but, the, you know, everybody has uh, to some degree, I think, this experience that you can tell when someone's staring at you. Right. And even um, even blind people know and they've been tested. Right. That if someone's <laughs> staring at them and focusing on them, they will feel it. They know it. Um, and and uh, I can't I can't remember the, the name of the. Um, uh, of the people who did it, there was a group that did this uh, study in the UK, um, showing how dogs know uh, when their owners are on the way home, right? And they randomized yeah. the test. They did all sorts of things, and the dogs knew 20 minutes or more prior to the people showing up at home, the dogs would get excited and know their their owner, their their friend, uh, were, was coming home. And how how could they possibly know? Even when they changed plans in the middle of it, and they would just randomize things, the dogs knew, right? And this is all kind of relatable to this idea uh, of this intricate connectedness between organisms and uh, collective memories and even within species right where um, sometimes they've shown that pigeons and dolphins and different things know um, they know things from other groups that they had no connectedness with right other than this idea of morphic resonance and then we get into this fascinating idea that and again this is something that I I, again, I can't prove, but uh, when I go back and look at these ancient cultures, they all had the idea um, that the luminaries were sentient beings. And in fact, that's why astrology is what it is, that they influenced us, uh, you know, not just because of their alignment, because they held um, influence over, uh, you know, it's not just the, you know, it is the, the problem is not in the stars, but in ourselves, right? The, the, the fates and the stars. Um, but this idea that the luminaries, including the sun and perhaps the moon, are sentient beings and in fact, um, regard us with um, a view, right? Interact with us in different ways. These are fascinating, fascinating topics. And again, uh, while they can't be proven, I think they they certainly can't be disproven. And uh, and again, most ancient cultures uh, had some form of this idea that the luminaries were sentient. Yeah, and that's that's a fascinating thing to think about because. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, what we're talking about here, this whole morphic resonance idea, all of our consciousnesses like, like kind of collide together and, and interact. We, we all have this frequency, uh, you know, that we put out and receive. And this is how different ideas like the whole hundredth monkey idea come about. Like, 
you know, one doesn't have any con- conception of the other had this idea. And then, you know, they come up with the same idea. This all relates to the whole consciousness idea and how it could be that these frequencies are actually interacting in different ways. Yes, so the collective consciousness. This is where, right. And this is also the reason why we can understand the archetypes and archetypal ideas or uh, what they would call ancestor memory and stuff like that. Uh, thing, things of this nature. This this is why. And, you know, this is a great explanation as to why. And in my view, it holds more water than the materialist ideas. Oh, of and, how speaking of, works. and speaking of water, um, I was just going to point out that that's something <laughs> I've been studying for you know more than two years now. And that, again, the idea of morphic resonance holds true with, with water because water shows not only memory, but a kind of sentience and intelligence. Um, and something I've been uh, meaning, you know, to talk with Jason and Crow about on one of their shows, uh, but I've been studying it again, and it's, if you'll excuse the pun, so deep <laughs> of a topic um, that it seems to go on endlessly. Water is a very fascinating um, uh, material, and it defies most of our um, expectations in terms of material sciences. It does not comport uh, to most of the laws of physics in that way. So water um, is a very fascinating and not only you know integral part of life. Most life would not exist without water. Uh, and I think that you know, says the human a lot right there. body is between 60 and 80 percent water, depending on your age and um, body composition. But yes, life could not exist without water and the sun. Those are two things that have to be present. Um, so it does. Uh, again, these are fascinating, fascinating things to delve into and almost endlessly deep. But um, again, at every level, uh, the more you look into it, all of these ideas and the more you know questions we answer, all of them serve to disprove this hyper materialistic viewpoint that they keep trying to push down our throats well again i think this is to separate us from nature and all that yeah and and once again i think jason just said uh, this is to separate us from nature and and that's totally right totally the viewpoint i I see it as too well well, let's just be honest here do you think the top of the pyramid the elite of the elite don't know that there's a spiritual and a greater side to everything like raising their consciousness to levels that we can only fathom about they know that shit what do you think the secret societies are really about and i'm talking about not the uh, porch mason types i'm talking about people who are they're really into it they've been passing these things down definitely for hundreds of years possibly thousands of years exactly who knows exactly but they've been doing this since way back when but anyway wayne that that lag always messes with us all you have to do is observe the behavior of the quote. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I never want to call them elites, but the the controllers. Um, much of what I know about them has to do simply with observing them. And, and I've said before, it, it, as you know, crazy as some of their behaviors sound, it's it doesn't have anything to do with what I believe. It has everything to do with what they believe exactly. because they do it. So all I have to do is observe uh, what they, how they behave, and what they do, uh, and that tells us a lot about what's going on. And they absolutely believe in magic. They believe in um, the ether they they believe in a, you know i hate you know don't hate these the words but a flat earth uh, at least a you know <laughs> a snow globe model operation fishbowl hello um so they they have beliefs um they believe in a creator they believe in good and evil they believe in a, a shaitan or satan a lucifer um they believe in all these things it doesn't matter um in many aspects what i believe it has to do with what they believe because that's what you were um you know that's what you're experiencing and what you're experiencing is them turning 
turning everything upside down and them telling you everything that's real is not real. They, they make it as crazy as possible, and they want you to believe in everything that is illogical and, and crazy. Everything that they preach as being um, you know, unimpeachable and settled science is crazy. If you sit down and look at it really closely, the stuff that they tell you is true is crazy, and the things that they tell you are crazy is true. It's an upside-down world. It, it is bizarre. Up is down, down is up, black is white, white is black. Yeah, uh, this is exactly what it is. It's the total inversion of the natural order. That's what they're all about, and that's what they want because they have no control or say over the natural order. But if they could create a complete artificial system within that, then they could control that artificial system and be gods exactly. of that artificial system. Exactly. And that's what, the end, that's what the end game is for them. So that's exactly why they do the things they do. But uh, when you look back just logically at uh, the way some of these things are that we described, you described the, the sun and water, two essential portions to life. The sun and, and water also, you know, you're, you're talking fire and water alchemically, Mm -hmm. uh, that represents the masculine and the feminine, the combination of these things. And this is what it's about. I mean, when you look at it from the natural science viewpoint or, or the alchemical science viewpoint, these things make more sense logically uh, than the, the paradigm we're given, this whole materialist paradigm where they claim that the sun is this big exploding, you know, ball of... Of hydrogen gas. that's constantly fusing together, creating a vacuum. It's a, this yeah. giant ball of gas in a vacuum that somehow burns in a vacuum. <laughs> Hold on. I know, right? Uh, it's Hold like on, a device. And, and that's, yeah, like, how is that, like, logical in any way? I know, I was going to say, it divides when, every law yeah. of known physics, right? Just right there. Uh, it, right. And it's also 93 million miles distance, and the law, the inverse square law uh, is blown apart by uh, just the light rays, right? It's, it's, it's just crazy and and part of me is like I, I get so upset with myself that i spent you know 40 plus years of my life just never really questioning that right never really questioning that model that's, that's probably the big thing with most people they they don't question these things they just accept it because they've been told it and taught it their life from quote unquote authority figures these people know better than you they're smarter than you they have the white lab coat they know what they're talking about they spent years studying this stuff you didn't mm -hmm. and uh, it's been my experience too the more time you spend in school the more indoctrination you have it's it's not necessarily about education this day and age the internet you could educate yourself uh, that's largely what I do I, I'm, I'm pretty much self-taught on almost everything uh, so it, it's it, it's it just boggles the mind to think that uh, you know the, these people they spend years and years and thousands and thousands of dollars on this schooling and they're so close-minded that they they won't even question the things that they've been taught even though when you take a step back from it and look at it from a logical perspective it doesn't make sense and it doesn't stand up to common sense and it doesn't pass scrutiny but yeah. that's basically what they they push forward because this is what they taught and this is what all their their whole career and everything's wrapped up in and they're dependent on that and that's how they make their living and it's it's a shame that it's that way i've got some good friends that are like engineers and stuff and and you know take physics and and you know do do all of this really fascinating interesting quote unquote science stuff and they're just so indoctrinated they can't see their nose in front of their face. And it, it's like, 
a lot of these things are not logical when you actually take a step back from what you've been taught and question it a little further. And you see well, they, how the, the fallacy pops up and, and it all breaks down in front of your eyes. So yeah, they, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's, the more educated, the harder it is to break them from the indoctrination. Yes, and I've often said, you know, the, the higher the education, the deeper the indoctrination. And, and largely because I think that, you know, again, we're taught to, um, you know, they say respect authority. Right, that, that you are supposed to um, have a default position of accepting what somebody in authority tells you and not question that. And, and I would say, again, since we're in an upside-down world, uh, exactly, uh, autodidactic, right? So you're, uh, I consider myself an autodidactic polymath. I do have letters, right, from, from institutions, but – Polymathery um, for the win. Polymathery for the win, right? Uh, but but I would suggest uh, again, since this upside down world, I'll just say that skepticism should be your default position, right? As we were talking with RV last week, right? The the original auto hoaxer, right? So I take a a, a position of skepticism at, as a default, right? So any any time uh, that the mainstream uh, puts something out there, my position automatically. Uh, it's not necessarily hand wave dismissal, but it certainly is a position of skepticism and being suspect of what they're telling us. And this goes, for example, um, with anything that you see in the media, if they're pushing a narrative, you can bet your butt that it is not true, whether that's Pink Floyd, I mean, George Floyd, uh, you know, or, or whether that's um, BLM or any of these things. Um, you know, certainly those lives matter, but lives matter. And that's not to be, you know, inverse or All know, lives diss matter. anybody. What what I'm saying is when they're pushing a narrative on you, then you should be suspect of that. And so anything that you see it, it repeated in a news cycle in 24-7, if they're pushing that narrative, um, you can be certain that they're trying to evoke an emotion or, or they're trying to push a, a, an idea, a thought, uh, and be skeptical of it, right? So question everything. Absolutely. We do need to question everything and, and you know, get back to the sources of these ideas and that's the whole thing people don't always take the time to trace back an idea to its original source or or you know its original origins and when you do that sometimes you find out some things that uh, you, you might be utterly shocked to find out about it so Absolutely. when we go ahead and we, we trace back some of these ideas back uh to like neoplatonic philosophy and stuff like that you're looking this is going back thousands of years a lot of these ideas have been around and it's only in the more modern era where they've really pushed the hyper materialist model of things and this is basically where they've driven the science this is where exactly. all the exactly. all the money for the science goes and therefore this is where all the research takes place and this is you know how all of this this goes on so exactly when and you want to know academia, it's published right. or perished right so you have to toe the line Thing. Yep, and you do exactly what your benefactor wants you to do. You do the studies they want you to do. You put out the science that they want you to put out. And this is what I've discovered goes on with these scientific studies and things, especially the ones that hit these peer-reviewed journals and stuff like that. Uh, about 99 times out of 100, they're just pushing a narrative that their benefactor wants pushed exactly. with these and, things. And, they, they, and the whole they idea. They make their conclusion before they even start the study. So they know Absolutely. what the conclusion before they start the study. And Absolutely. they tailor the whole study into getting that conclusion that they want. And Precisely. That's, that's I've discovered this is how vaccine science works especially. And it just kills me because I could sit 
and pick through a vaccine study and show you just where they manipulated the data and how they did it in order to get the result that they wanted. And it just aggravates me to no end that they call this science because they, they're going in thinking, okay, this is the result I want from this study. And then they tailor make the study to show the result. So it's not like it's not true science in that regard. This is not scientific method. This well, is paid paid for science, pretty much. Well, it's, this it's is the upside down of science again. Hey guys, let's take a minute to define uh, neoplatonic for folks. Okay, wait. You you use it. You you divide it. Okay. Well, Plato was a philosopher. Okay, so basically, he put a lot of ideas down on paper. And uh, you say a Neoplatonist is somebody that kind of explores some of those ideas and and stretches them out a little further. So that's kind of what Neoplatonism is. It's, not it's a Neo-Satanist. A philosoph- <laughs> no, not a Neo-Satanist. That would be something totally... That's Jason. Neoplasticine. Anyway, yeah, but... That's that's basically what it is, is they take these these old philosophical ideas and explore them a little further and and kind of science them up a little bit with more modern terminology. So that's what yeah. Neoplatonism is. So but, but the idea of you know, uh, peer review is is designed right that, that again with everything that they've done with the scientific method, scientific method says that here's how to empirically prove something. So you go, OK, um, that's good. So science proves things. Right. And then they flip it upside down. And then uh, like uh, Michio Kaku says, like nobody in my field uses the scientific method. It's all uh, guesswork. See to the past. It's conjecture. Right? Wild guesses. It's conjecture, it's conjecture based off of exactly. conjecture. All right. Uh, hey, thank you, Rose. Rose says it's my my first laugh of the night. It wasn't actually. I did I did laugh earlier, uh, <laughs> uh, but but the whole idea of again peer review is supposed to be that the the premise is right that that uh, people are going to be able to duplicate and replicate the science <clears throat> scientific process, and that's exactly the opposite of what they do. It's they're simply gatekeepers, so they're going to disallow anything that uh, that would uh, go against or uh, be contravening to uh, the the current narrative. Right. And this has been proven over and over again with, for example, archaeology, uh, simple archaeology. Right. When you find something that doesn't go with the narrative. Uh, wow. I discovered this building and it shows that people were living here in an age that um, goes against the narrative. Oh, no, you didn't find that. Well, yeah, I did. It. It's right here. Nope, uh, you're out of work. We're going to sue you, right? And people literally have gotten sued uh, over publishing a paper um, that simply described their findings. Same thing with uh, people discovering soft tissue and dinosaur bones. Well, that can't be. Well, um, but it is. Here it is. I can I can duplicate it. Nope, you're out of work. <laughs> that it never works. Science. Science, right? So um, all the peer review does is it's, it's basically a bully society, right? We're just going to make sure that um, nobody gets away with saying anything we don't like. Uh, and so they've taken the whole idea of science and, and pushed an idea um, th- that's true. I mean, you know, the scientific method is a very narrow um, system which uh, shows a cause and effect relationship. Uh, so you can prove it, right? Demonstrable and reproducible. However, once they've got people to accept that, then they just say anything they want. Scientists say – so mo- almost every article you'll read now uh, will say something to the effect of scientists believe – well, those two words don't go together. Right? <laughs> scientists suspect uh, – those things don't go together, right? If it's science, there is no belief. There is no suspect. It's proven. And so when they uh, throw that at you, well, scientists think that 
screw that. Um, they're lying to you. At that point, you can just throw it away. They are lying to you. Right. And um, I showed this on the Poppycock Report with uh, Rose Triple Seven, you know, just uh, yesterday, uh, how Forbes magazine introduced um, in the same journal. uh, They had one article which says um, at least 36 uh, planets with intelligent life. And in the same uh, magazine, right, uh, they come out and say, that's a that's the most preposterous title ever. And here's why that's a stupid idea. Right. They're creating confusion um, simply to uh, get people to argue with one another. And so they, they can. Uh, yeah. Experts agree. Exactly. That's a great one, Steve. Um, it's it, whenever they tell you that they're lying to you. I mean, just straight up. I mean, I often say um, that, that, you know, absolute certainty is the eminent domain of frauds and fools. But there are sometimes I can speak with conviction and go, it's self-evident, right? Because they're going against uh, what we know, right? Uh, so, yeah, any, anyway, uh, that, that's where we're at with science. It's scientism. Uh, so whenever they put on the lab coat and say, scientists believe, scientists think, scientists suspect, uh, it's bullshit. Sorry, poppycock. I'll, I'll use the proper term. <laughs> poppycock. Right. The, the other thing they don't tell you, the other thing that they don't tell you about that, too, is that uh, not everything is measurable with scientific method. So... For those things that are not measurable for, by scientific method, how do you prove or disprove them? And that's the thing. A lot of it's subjective. And, you know, this is where something like consciousness comes into play. How do you Well, that's why they dismiss it. <laughs> you, you really can't. Right. Precisely because it does not fit their paradigm. Not everything fits into the science me- scientific method paradigm. You can't measure it or quantify it. So, well, therefore, if you can't measure it or quantify it, you can't prove or disprove it. Exactly. And and moreover, the scientific method is really, again, it's a very narrow definition of cause and effect relationship. For example, um, what we would say, like the laws of thermodynamics, right? Those are the laws of physics um, are not within the scientific method because they express something. They they, is something that we can show, but we don't know why. We don't know why entropy occurs. We can describe it. We can measure it. We can predict it, but we don't know why. There's no cause and effect there. It just does. And that is the, that is the truth with most of those scientific – what we call the laws of physics, right, or the laws of uh, natural laws. Um, those are not within the scientific method because we can't – we don't know, <laughs> right? We, we just – we don't know. And um, I often say, right, the beginning of wisdom is I don't know. And uh, most of academia – is uh, a way to hide the fact that they don't know. Almost every, almost every abstract I've read, read in almost every discipline uses a huge amount of jargon and buzzwords to push people out so that you don't understand it. Uh, but when you just go back and you look pretty closely, it's not that difficult to figure out what they're saying. And ultimately, it always comes down to this in every single case. It comes down to this. In a process we don't yet fully understand – Fill in the right. blank, right? And so th- all th- all it is is an attempt. They use all this big, you know, twenty dollar words to tell you we don't know. <laughs> but then they will come right out and say we're absolutely certain it is settled science. Uh, there's the debate is over, and that's bullshit, right? When they say the debate is over, that's not how science works, right? So anytime they introduce Debate's this idea over. that evolution is settled science, their debate is over. Bullshit. Then you're lying, right? Because uh, anytime you refuse to let the questions be asked, uh, you're lying. <laughs> that's just bottom yeah. again. That's there's, the bottom there's line. There's no such thing as no such thing as settled science. There's well, there is. That's what the that's what the, the, the laws of thermodynamics are supposed to be. But that, that that's 
right. how few there well, are. Well, that's a law, though. That's different than science, though. That's, yeah, that's it's, not, you know. It's not science. That's not it's, how it's, science works. Science. It's not how science works, exactly. Those are observable laws, right? And so um, we can observe that. But there, uh, there are, from time to time, things that occur outside of that that we're surprised by. And we have to try to better understand those things. Uh, but we can say, again, under most circumstances, things occur in a certain way. And we can describe those things. Uh, but when they begin to tell you that the, the debate is over and, uh, you know, it's settled science, that is not a thing, <laughs> right? That is an oxymoron. Settled science is an oxymoron by its very definition. Uh, so, again, when they say that, they are lying to you. They're saying, yeah, don't look in this box. Absolutely. I think we kind of wandered off topic a little bit here, guys. Let's get back on the golden brick road here, the yellow brick okay. road. All right. Well, so, let's go back then to the let's go back then. So we talked about um, knowing, understanding the etymology of things, right? The, the beginning of things. So let's look then at the etymology of con consciousness. Um, so it generally ascribed to John Locke and his essay concerning concerning human understanding, um, came out at about 1690, and he defined consciousness as the perception of what passes in a man's own mind. And that essay really influenced most of, um, you know, uh, the the thinking on consciousness all the way up through the late 17 and early 1800s. Uh, but um, really, the earliest use of it in English of conscious and consciousness can date back to about um, the middle 1500s. And the English word uh, conscious originally uh, came from uh, derived again from Latin. There's that, you know, dead language that's not. <laughs> Right. Um, uh, so really, they uh, conscious together and co to know. Uh, but the the strict Latin transliteration doesn't really mean the same thing um, because it's just talking about, you know, knowing, um, knowing things. Right. The, the together knowingness. And that's not really a strict transliteration of, of the Latin. It's kind of a. Um, kind of a bastardization of it uh, but it and it doesn't really ha have that meaning the figurative meaning that the english word consciousness does uh, but when we get into this idea uh, of consciousness conscientia um, it really started in the late again 1600s they started using it um, uh, dealing with like moral compass right but but the whole idea um, really comes uh, again in the strict di dictionary um, definition the awareness of, or perception of the inward psychological or spiritual fact right and that's the that's the textbook def definition spiritual facts um, intuitively perceived knowledge of something in one's own self an inward awareness of an external object state or fact um, concerning awareness, the interest or concern, often used with an uh, attributive noun, the state or activity that is characterized by sensation, emotion, volition, or thought. Uh, the mind is the broadest possible sense, um, something in nature. And here's, a, here's a, I mean, a thought to think of, right? The word animal, right, um, comes from anima, which means spirit. And yet, here's an interesting one, animal basically means without spirit, right? Um, <laughs> these don't have a soul. <laughs> right. These beings, they don't have a soul. They're moving, but no soul for them. Uh, you, you know, again, uh, I disagree. Demonstrably. Yeah. Demonstrably not not true. Uh, so this is where, again, they've been uh, pushing these these ideas on us for a very long time, flipping the world uh, upside down. Bamboozled from birth is absolutely right, Amanda. Um, so it, it's the totality and psychology of the sensation, perceptions, ideas, attitudes, feelings. Right. This is all considered consciousness and consciousness. Consciousness, again,
again, when we get back to this idea, um, what we're told to believe is, is it is, uh, as Wayne said earlier, a, but simply a byproduct of the electrochemical functions that happen in the synapses of your brain between the neurons and axons, this little electrical jump, uh, and, and that's the center of it. But again, when you look closely, for example, there are more, more um, neurotransmitters uh, in your thorax than there are between the brain and the rest of the body. Right. And so when you get that gut feeling, that's true. And this, again, um, extends to a, a range of about a meter, about three feet around you. Uh, and uh, you interact with everything else around you. So now you know why they want you six feet apart. So you don't interact with other people um, because you have that interaction with them. Um, and wait, uh, there's the an heart. ulterior motive to social distancing. Yeah, really? Really? And that's a very important point right there that you make too. That's very that that's key. That is yeah. key with the whole social distancing idea. They don't want our morphic fields to interact because if they don't we we lose a form of communication with one another. And this is this is kind of something similar to like a, a telepathy type idea. Okay, if you're looking exactly. at like an archetypal idea. And this is the thing, a human consciousness interacts with other human consciousnesses so uh, you know it, it's one of those things where proximity to people if you're close to somebody for a long time you kind of pick up some of their same habits and, well entrainment know. happens and you can again this yeah. is demonstrable that the um your That's heartbeat what it's called, entrainment, yeah, entrainment That's exactly and um your heartbeat will actually begin to become entrained or um function at the begin to beat at a similar rate uh to the other person and you begin to get in harmony with them right and uh in fact uh, while we can put all this stuff in the brain right in the we put the center of um our thought in the brain remember that we often say the center of the emotions is the heart you've captured my heart right i'm heartbroken that sort of stuff mm -hmm. encouragement literally means take heart right um but but what happens is so the the heart has a stronger electromagnetic field by 60 times than the brain uh and uh it really uh is measurable again and so by keeping people apart from one another to me it's an inhuman thing i, I first mentioned this on um, iron realm media uh, a few weeks back right when we were discussing this and, and since the idea has been picked up on by a number of different people i'm delighted about it right uh, even matt from quantum of conscience spoke about it the other day um, how we people are starting to realize the truth of this that by keeping people distance from one another they are making us inhuman right and we we now don't have compassion from one another um, i see this now daily that people are really rude to one another um, and, and in part because they, they're losing their compassion and their humanity by virtue of being separated and they're fearful of one another right they're, they're afraid of this virus or uh, they're gonna you can infect me oh my god uh, he didn't is, have a mask uh, on it's inhuman <laughs> and it's it's un, it's unconscionable to me i mean it is um it's it's a terrible thing that they're doing um but 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 this is uh, even though uh, again we talk about proximity um th this idea of morphic resonance um it, it defies proximity there have been i'm sure everybody uh, that's listening has had the experience where you think about somebody and within minutes sometimes they will call you Right. And especially even right. people you, ha you haven't talked to in weeks or, or years, you'll think about them and suddenly they'll call uh, or you'll get an email from them. Right. Um, these things, uh, you know, people want to just cast them off as sheer coincidence. But when it happens to you a number of times and the number of people who've had this experience 
experience, it's obviously um, greater than statistically significant. This is a real phenomenon. Uh, it is a real phenomenon for sure. And our, our modern day quantum science tries to describe this as uh, either uh, quantum entanglement or quantum non-locality. But, but this is a much better explanation of that phenomena, right? That's yes. the thing. I mean, when, when they bring you these sciences and they tell you, oh, quantum theory, quantum this, quantum that, they're describing actual things to you, but it's being misdescribed. It's being twisted to the materialist view when there are other alternative explanations to the phenomena that make more sense. And this uh, morphic field bit, morphic resonance, this makes more sense. I mean, this, this is logical. It explains a lot of different things. And uh, it does defy distance and stuff like that. That's like uh, how the three of us, we, you know, we, we really jive well together because even though we're, we're at thousands of miles apart, uh, you know, but Baldini and I, our, our periods still kind of coincide with one another. So, you know. Yep. We, get <laughs> our, we get on our menstrual cycle together. Yeah, yes, it's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, it's... It's one of those things where it just, even though that we have this distance, we still kind of have this, uh, I don't know, this camaraderie or whatever that our, our morphic fields kind of interact with one another. They enmesh, yeah. We get right. we get entrainment and we start thinking about the same thoughts. And uh, in fact, this is how kind of Wayne and I started uh, doing the Sola Scriptura uh, uh, stream on, on my channel on Sunday mornings. Uh, and that's the Unintended Consequences channel. We're doing it uh, Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, beginning to look at these things because I'm we kind of got in the yeah, right, exactly. But we got it. Uh, we started getting in um, cahoots, I guess, you know, with one another, and started thinking these same thoughts. And again, we're not we're not the only ones this has happened to, right? Like, the history is littered with people who have done um, amazing inventions about the same time without any interconnection with each other. They both solved a problem, a mathematical or physical problem, at the same time. Um, separated uh, by, you know, again, across the world before there was instant communication. Um, and there's, the history is littered with those. And the, also the number of people who have solved problems in a dream, right? They wake up. The the story is told of the guy who invented the um, electric sewing machine uh, or the, or at least the, the mechanical sewing machine. And he was trying to figure out how to do it. And he struggled. And I think he spent four or five years working on the problem. And then uh, finally – he had a dream, and in his dream, he was on an island, right, with cannibals, uh, and the uh, the natives were poking at him with spears, and in the spears' tips, there was a hole in the end of the tip. And he suddenly woke up and went, holy shit, that's the answer, right? Because before that, if you look at, uh, you know, manual sewing needles and thread, uh, the hole, the eyelet, is at the back of the needle. Uh, and you couldn't do that with a machine who's having all kinds of problems doing it. And so then we, we put the, the eyelet at the tip of the needle in a uh, sewing machine. It worked. And so he solved the problem in a dream. And he, he always said to, to the day he died um, that it came to him in a dream. He's not the only one that's had that experience. So, again, we, we look at these things and go, what – what is going on here, right? This idea of cosmic consciousness, collective consciousness, um, uh, shared memories in some cases. Is this what, um, you, you know, the idea of past lives is? Are you, I mean, could it be memories bouncing? I mean, th these are fascinating topics uh, that people have spent um, all kinds, you know, lifetimes looking into. Um, and, and again, I, we, there's no way we can cover it all here, even even some of the concepts. But um, you certainly can start looking into it and looking into some of these ideas and some of the people. Uh, that that have um, approached this. Uh, again, I highly encourage it. You can get uh, off into some really interesting tangents this way. 
No doubt about it. Crickets. A lot of interesting <laughs> tangents. No, Wayne's got a lag. You had finished your thought. <laughs> There's a big problem that Wayne always seems to be about a second or two behind, which is why I always pause up for a moment. Uh, yes, the, the infamous, infamous lag. Uh, that would be thanks to my wonderful internet service provider, Frontier. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, it, hey, it's a small price to pay for being You know how to treat a girl out. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's even, a small e- price e- to pay for living out in the country away from most of society. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take my chances with it, I guess. It's well, all I got out here. But even if it even if it were perfect internet connection, right? This is one of the reasons why uh, I've been struggling with this idea of why we can't, um, you know, collaborate musically in real time is because even at the speed of light, even if there were no delay in the machine, uh, because we're so far apart, right? So let's say between uh, Wayne and I, uh, there's what 23, 2400 miles, and if you start to do the math on it, even at the speed of light, perfect speed of light, um, there would be about a 65 to 70 millisecond delay. Uh, you know, but a Exactly, way too much. And when you duplex that, now we're talking 120 milliseconds. Um, it's it, it would be a separate sec, a separate sound altogether. So there's absolutely there's no way to do it, even if um, the the hardware had no delay in it, which it does. Uh, <laughs> That's so slapback there, so echo no, at that point. <laughs> even if I had some musical talent whatsoever, too, that would be <laughs> right. I mean, when Wayne. Though. When Wayne broke up from his surgery, he said, you know, will I, will I ever, you know, play piano again? <laughs> and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, well, I didn't before. So, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a joke. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so there is this distance between us, right? So um, we, we do have a little bit of lag, not only in the audio, uh, but interestingly enough, Wayne and I get the same thoughts at the same time, and we start talking over each other. <laughs> people, are, I see in the chat, people are like, shut up, Baldini, let Wayne talk. I'm like, I know, man, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Yeah, that goes back to the pesky lag problem, though. So, you know, most of that, when you hear us talking over each other, it's not because we're ignorant to each other or anything. It's just because, uh, you know, there's there's this, it's about maybe, what would you say, Jason, maybe like a two-second delay or something? It seems like about times. two seconds, yeah. That's why I always pause for yeah. a moment. Yeah, it's it's usually a good thing, but you know when Baldini's on, on his soapbox, sometimes it's hard <laughs> to get a word in edgewise anyway. Oh, I know. You know, when I do start talking, though, it's not, you know, that I'm talking over him on purpose, but, you know, that's the way it goes. But we have fun with it anyway. We'll make yeah. it work. We just take take bets of how much time uh, Wayne actually gets in, and he's got to he's got to poke me pretty hard. I'm gonna put one of those, uh, you know, like electric shock collars on me, and then, uh, you know, you'll be able and to give push me the, the controller. Um, I was gonna give it to Wayne. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Better off to give it to Jason because I'm much too kind with those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, back to back to consciousness. Um, so yeah, then, then we, so again, we get this idea of you know again, what is consciousness? And and the whole thing comes to this. Um, it's often been called the mind body problem, right? It, is that uh, again, it's been largely accepted within modern science uh, that the brain is the computer and it's f- causing the body to function, as I men- uh, mentioned a moment ago. But we've got all these neuroreceptors in in the in the gut, right, in the thorax, uh, and then they're both sending and receiving information. Information out into the field, the morphic resonance field, if you will, the ether, um, and, and we get a sense about what's happening out there. Uh, and again, you can tell if somebody's um, the sense that somebody's watching you, right? The hair stands up in the back of your neck. Um, you can actually tell these things. And so, um, again, it was um, largely, uh, again, early kind of modern science. Descartes that looked at it, right? Um, and he had uh, what he called Cartesian dualism, but he's still, again, trying to describe uh, the body as a mechanical function and the 
brain sort of as its logic center, the computer. And again, the more we look at it, the more we realize, although that was accepted and, and it fit within their ideas of um, logic, uh, it doesn't actually work that way. Uh, and, and so we, it, it becomes very fascinating that the deeper we look at these problems, uh, the more we realize that, that the that quote, modern science is further away uh, than ancient philosophy. Ancient philosophy had a much better close, a much closer and, and I think more accurate look uh, at not only these questions, but in fact, many of them, including cosmology. But, um, you know, again, I mentioned the, the luminaries again as being sentient beings. Keep in mind that uh, all the planets, if you want to call them that, um, they all have names of gods <laughs> to this day, <laughs> except Pluto. That they do. Right? That's the Disney dog. Pluto's my cat. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, and again, um, I think anybody who's dealt with any kind of astrology at all um, would agree that there is a there is a there there right to the influence of uh, of the stars and the relative position to us. So whatever you want to think about it, and if you want to get scared and go, let's from the devil, hallelujah, uh, like our friend who thinks that uh, Jason's velvet jacket makes him a, a Satanist, whatever. Um, again, um, there there is a there there, and to my view, it is this interconnectedness of all things, and if you want to call it morphic resonance or or uh, however you want to name it, um, my observation says that uh, these things uh, definitely have truth to them uh, can i describe it fully no but but can i observe that it that it happens yes and that's the thing that's where it comes down it's observable so that is one of the key tenets of scientific method first of all is it observable is it repeatable right and you know is it measurable those are like your three main tenets of scientific method uh, we could definitely observe this phenomenon can we measure it to some degree we can by you know doing the right kinds of experiments and can we repeat those experiments well yes we can so like that's that's where we could see uh like something with the you know an experiment you could do really easily is if you stare at somebody's back uh you know from a distance away uh they'll feel like they're being looked at and they'll turn around and look at you and, and you could measure this, and experiments have been done and have been shown uh, to have some, you know, statistical significance to, you know, people yeah, will realize when they're being stared at. Right. Much greater yeah. than statistical significance. It's, it's you know, it's shown. Mm -hmm. And then this right. is where we get to the— that way. Yeah. So. And this is where we get to the idea of—then you add the idea of the problem of other minds, right? And this is a conversation that um, Red Fox and I had uh, on my channel last week, um, which is, you know, he's asking the question about consciousness and experience, right, and perception. And how do we perceive these things? And are we having the same perception? Is there a, a materialness to it, right? So he's like, well, okay, so we both look at a tree. Are, are we both? Do we agree it's a tree? Is it a physical thing? And I said, well, we experience in a similar way that we can describe things uh, that would be similar to us that we both agree uh, that we're seeing it. However, we may both experience it very differently. Right. And then, and then uh, is there a right or wrong there? Not really. We're both experiencing what we experience. But to a large degree, I think um, here's a phenomenon that we can uh, very clearly see now. And I've had uh, several discussions with a number of people with uh, as we observe those who are fully locked in. We would say the blue pill folks, um, mm -hmm. they experience the world in a in a 
markedly different way uh, than do those of us on this side of, of the, the red pill, right? In, in that um, they they seem to literally see things in that way. And, and, and again, I think it's provable that they do. And the limbic system is one of the ways that they do that uh, because it will actually change um, the way they perceive information based on what they believe. Uh, so, and that's been proven. Uh, so we are experiencing the world as, as material as it seems uh, we're experiencing it in sometimes radically different ways and uh, often determined by our perspective to begin with. And whatever your beliefs are, that's going to make concrete your views. And so it can be said that in many ways, belief is the enemy of knowing uh, in that it, it makes concrete uh, what you already believe. And so there is no way for you to learn anything more uh, because your brain will literally change the incoming data to comport with what you already believe. So there's no way you can learn anything new. Uh, and that's the saddest thing to me ever. That That's an indicative of death. Right. But are you also implying in your statement, though, that our thoughts affect our reality? Absolutely. See, there's, there's the other side of the coin. Well, you know, we should probably too. talk about so, that I mean, for a moment. A, yeah, you're, you're right, Jason. We should talk about that. Our, our thoughts affect our reality. And, well, uh, I mentioned it before in that study, right? In the study in yeah. Sweden in the 60s, that uh, it's been shown that you, not only do your thoughts affect it, uh, but they manifest it. And and to me, precisely. Uh, again, and this is something that you would, again, Wayne and I talked about on the, the first episode of Sola Scriptura, right? Is that in my view, uh, this uh, realm was made to manifest uh, our intentions, right? If you want to call that magic or whatever, but it was made to manifest our, our intentions at the outset. That's the way the creator designed it. And when, when he made us the, um, gave us dominion over this place, it was made to, to manifest our thoughts. And so long as those thoughts are in uh, compliance with the order of nature and natural law, uh, they should manifest. But when you've got these controllers who are turning things upside down, uh, they have these, you know, when go back to the idea of waveform, uh, when you add different waves to Together of different frequencies, when they uh, come into contact, they can do what's either additive, right, or constructive interference, or they can do destructive interference. And so, if we want to use sound as an example again, uh, low frequency, low frequency sounds, bass, if you want to call it that, um, they're very long, very energetic sound waves, and they take a lot of energy to produce. In fact, uh, on a full range amplifier, uh, about 80% of the energy is taken up by sounds under 200 hertz, that is, the low frequencies. Uh, and so, uh, but these long frequencies that can build up in corners of a room because they're so big and so long. Um, but you can get in a room, you can find what are called nodes, right? And these nodes exist where those frequencies will come into contact with each other, the low frequency. And you can easily walk around a room and tell uh, because sometimes they will interact with each other in a positive way and make the bass really loud. And in other places, um, they'll cancel each other out and there's no bass at all, right? And so when you set up um, uh, big sound systems for concerts and that sort of thing, these are things that um, sound engineers have to be aware of uh, because uh, you don't want to put you know your subwoofers for example in a place that you're going to get these nodes developed uh, because you could have a, a third of the audience literally getting no bass and a third of the audience um, with the brown note and they're crapping themselves <laughs> right <laughs> uncontrollably because they're Oops. having so much low frequency energy uh, so um, these, these things are uh, again apparent and observable in nature and we can use uh, for example um, sound to do it you can do the same thing with light you get uh, constructive and uh, destructive interference this is how holograms work 
artwork that you're using, um, the ability of rays of light, and you're using them in a constructive manner uh, to, to give the illusion of three dimensions with a two-dimensional object. Um, so w it's not, again, outside the realm of uh, it shouldn't put you into woo land uh, to consider the idea that electromagnetic frequencies, just things outside of our ability to see or hear or taste, uh, but they are still there, they're measurable, um, that we interact with each other in these ways and not just within proximity, but over uh, very large uh, fields. And the entire earth resonates at what's called the Schumann resonance, right? Um, and, and so uh, the, the, whole, the whole earth as we know it has a vibrational field and not just, um, you know, the electromagnetic, but the, but the whole thing vibrates and so uh, when we get into contact with this right it's very similar to the to the brain waves um, that we that we can again measure and then we have the, the you know alpha and theta and beta waves uh, that that we um, use to process information we are we should be in close communion with nature around us and yet everything that the controllers have done certainly for the last three to four or five hundred years has been to t literally take us as far away from the natural world as possible i mean uh, consider the modern human uh, that everything he does is to separate him from the natural world as far as possible he wears shoes clothes um concrete he never gets his feet or fingers in the soil, um, stays out of the sun, uses, you know, sunblock and sunscreen and sunglasses and stays inside. Uh, the city keeps us as far away from the natural world. I, I, I have met people in my lifetime who literally are freaked out by animals, right? Uh, yeah. e even uh, domestic, like dogs and cats, they freak out. They, they're afraid of them, and especially larger animals like cows and things like that because they have never experienced it and, and it freaks them out and I, I just it breaks my heart I, I mean I don't I don't even know right they're they're so um you know again entrained with the with the electromechanical world this artificial world uh, that they are uncomfortable in nature and that's what I think the controllers have intended for for a very long time so referencing back to consciousness and mass consciousness and how things that uh you put forth into the universe you're trying to make manifest. I think that is what magic truly is. And sure. I know I've discussed this before. Maybe, I don't remember if it was here or not, but I think that's what magic truly is. And a lot of the other stuff is window dressing to a point, but it's also sometimes helpful in achieving the desired emotional responses and all that because a lot of it is tied to emotion you're, you're literally taking the energy of yourself and the more people that are focusing on a particular point uh, of of intent the more powerful the thing could possibly be and i would say that nobody knows this more than the controlling bad guys of this world they absolutely know what this yeah. stuff is hence why we see their bullshit symbols everywhere and all their crap like orc scrawl on everything it's they know what they're doing mm -hmm. man there's intent behind all that and, and again this is all and coming back does, to consciousness it does seem as well in every ancient tradition uh both religious and um you know i want to say pagan or i mean just like in every spiritual tradition let's put it that way um blood is a powerful component uh again even within the christian tradition to go back to the animal sacrifice of the of the ancient israelites so uh blood appears to be a very powerful thing even again the the uh, first murder is described in the in the book of genesis where um, cain killed his brother abel and um god showed up and said uh, his blood cries out to me from the 
ground. Uh, So uh, the idea of blood being a powerful component in these magical things, uh, as well as intent uh, and will, uh, certainly seems to be, again, there's something to it. And uh, we see, again, this reflected in the behavior of the controllers. Again, it doesn't matter what uh, we three think, uh, other than we can observe what they're doing and saying. Right. They believe it. And I would conjecture that uh, maybe your blood is the whole key to consciousness and t- the tuning of your physical form with the consciousness. Or your antenna. Right. I, and, I there's, think blood and there's iron plays, in it, right? Right. So I think blood plays an important role in that because when you look back at uh, just the, the philosophical and religious history of the blood and how the blood is the life and, uh, you know, you look back in that, that biblical story of Cain and Abel, uh, Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground. So that tells me it's, it's, it's transmitting or, you yeah. know what I mean? So exactly. it's, and that, that's the whole thing. So I think that may be a whole key, uh, to what could be the, the physical manifestation of consciousness in our human forms, in our, our in physical, some way, in, yeah, in some well, take way a or look, Take a look too, Wayne, at the at the the Holy Grail, Sangreal, Sang, Sanguine Blood, right, right, yep. <laughs> right. So, um, so now we're really getting into it, and we we talked then about bloodlines. Uh, so when we, we're talking about um, you, you know interbreeding, uh, they don't say you know spermatozoa lines or even genetic lines. We talk bloodlines. Bloodlines, right? There's a certain key there that goes along. With consciousness and blood, there's definitely a tie or a connection there between the two, and that's something that I, I think most people kind of miss the boat on. But it, it's something that does, uh, you know, merit some more discussion or, or more study. So you know, it, it's it's one of those things where that could be one of the key components in this physical realm of our consciousness is our blood. And thus the importance of bloodlines and quote-unquote pure bloodlines and, and things like that uh, to kind of tune the frequency better for us, for our tuner. You know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of, it's one of the, it's hard to describe, but like if you're looking at it as the metaphor of like uh, your human body is like a, a radio tuner and uh, your, your spirit or your soul is the, the radio station that your, your tuner is tuning in. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, uh, it, it's kind of it's a good metaphor for what I think consciousness really is about, or, or how it operates in some sense. So, uh, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I think that's a, a bit more of a logical explanation of it than the materialist view we're given. So that's that's why they missed the boat on so many things with mainstream science, and that's why we never seem to get any closer to uh, really solving the puzzle of what is life, what is consciousness, what what is this stuff? And it is the big problem of science is, you know, consciousness flies in the face of everything this materialist science is trying to teach us about this world we live in because not everything is a mechanized structure. It's not a machine. The human body is not a machine. The human mind is not a machine. Though they try to quantify it and measure it as such and describe it as such, they're trying to shove the idea of consciousness into the materialist paradigm. And it just doesn't... It doesn't go. But still... Right. But still, they they will do everything they can to stuff it down and silence anybody that questions the whole motif. So that's kind of what we're looking at. 
with this stuff is they're they're trying to squeeze it into this paradigm that it really doesn't fit into, but they're trying to force it. And, and well, you see, when you start looking at things like transhumanism and artificial intelligence and all of those things, you can see how they're trying to force it more and more. Absolutely. And without, you know, trying to beat the, the dead horse or, um, you know, unnecessarily flog a mortality-challenged Equin-American, <clears throat> the more PC way to put that, um, you, you know, again, uh, from my perspective, that there are those who know, right, the, the controllers, uh, and then they've taught everyone else uh, to dismiss it, right? So uh, it, it's not that uh, we're you're necessarily getting further and further. I mean, they're pushing us further and further away, but it's not as if they don't know, right? And they, because they clearly practice this, again, with the idea of blood, that they drink blood. Um, they, they're openly saying now that they're transfusing young people's blood to keep themselves young. Um, and they're not even keeping it a secret anymore. Uh, so they so they're doing you know this idea of adrenochrome uh, that it's you know adrenaline infused into the blood of, of those who are tortured and sacrificed against ugly ugly topic and don't want to dwell too much on it other than yeah. to say it's you know these ideas are out there um, and but but with these ideas of then uh, blood and consciousness right so let's push a little further uh, and without trying to get too woo here right so certainly we have animal consciousness as I mentioned before uh, the idea of animus right and the soul and animal that it has none but it's alive and animated. Um, these all have the same root words, same etymology. Uh, so, so we can clearly say that there's these ideas of animal consciousness. But now we get into the, this uh, concept, again, with many ancient cultures of artifact consciousness and totems, uh, for example, that, um, that you could take a, an artifact and it could be made conscious uh, by infusing it by the will, right, or with blood or different, um, uh, different method means and methodologies, usually some sort of uh, ritual uh, that, that could make an artifact fact uh, conscious to to a certain degree uh, and and then even moving forward to um, uh, contributions on this question um, in 1950 right um, uh, Alan Turing in computing machinery and intelligence this whole idea of the Turing test uh, of making I mean he's basing it on this idea literally of artifact consciousness to create consciousness from a machine um, so it comes back to this very idea of taking um, uh, uh, an inanimate object Right and uh, making it conscious. However, I'll I'll, I'll tell you uh, just the the you know brief story about a, a time that I um, w was uh, managing a, a band way back in the day. I managed a record label, took a band uh, on tour. We stopped for a, a concert in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and on the, I was given an artifact to take to a guy who had a uh, paleontolo paleontological museum, a, a ge geological paleontological um, museum. It was, it was basically a piece of petrified supposedly dinosaur poop it was definitely <laughs> dinosaur uh, it was definitely petrified poop of some kind big uh, round turd uh, with a little you know ice cream top yeah, on it dude you got the best stories I'm oh well <laughs> even that but but i know but um and some of them are are even you know are even clean no but um so i had to take this poop to this guy and it was uh so after the after the festival that um was with this band it went with my girlfriend at the time and we we dropped it off and his place was closed it was sunday uh, but he let us in it was this old guy and he asked if we wanted a tour and i said sure right and i'd never really been much of a rock hound um i was intrigued by it when i was a, a kid and my dad uh, bought, bought me a you know a rock polishing set and i tried to get into it but it just took so long i didn't have the, the attention span as a kid but he started taking us through this place and and i was 
first in, impressed by his passion for it, right? And, and he was quite old, and he was an octogenarian. And uh, as he's taking us through, uh, he then starts describing the way that uh, rocks are formed, the different types of rock, and uh, then then into crystals. Uh, and the idea, and he started really, really into this idea of um, crystals being intelligently formed. They're self-organizing systems, much as uh, organisms are, living organisms. Uh, and and he had me pretty well, I'd say, convinced <laughs> by the time we got through this thing, and he was showing me uh, how um, they they responded and, and reacted in different ways, but they're on a time scale that's very different than ours, so most people would not notice uh, the fact that, that these rocks are literally um, responding um, in, in an intelligent manner to the world around them uh, to such a degree that they show, again, intelligence. And, and many of them, uh, I would say, sing. They vibrate at a frequency that when you uh, change that frequency um, you know, by using uh, electronic means, you can hear it, and, and they sing in a harmonizing way, uh, and it changes when you walk into its proximity, so it knows you're there. <laughs> right here, we go back to morphic resonance. Uh, some of them, uh, again, emit colors. Uh, some of them we can see just visually, and some of them you need ultraviolet or infrared light to see. Uh, but he had me pretty well, pretty well convinced at the end of that uh, that um, rocks may in fact be sentient, but on a t- geologic time scale, it's so different than ours uh, that their lifespan would be. You know, we would think of them as immortal, and we would be uh, to them you know uh, very transient uh, but fascinating stuff right and i can't um you know i can't dismiss it uh, when i start looking really at the nature of crystals and, and the way that we interact with them and you know a lot of people are really into the woo the crystal stuff um again i'm not I'm, i don't i don't mean to say that in mocking but you know some people woo get into the um they are pretty woo uh, but uh, in any case but but crystals do uh, do seem to to have an effect on us in a variety a variety of ways uh, it's not something i'm an expert on other than uh, again the material sciences aspect of it uh, is fascinating uh, and all these things lead me to believe that there is um that consciousness is something again well i can say this for for a fact that we don't understand what it is right for sure uh and uh, there are many 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 arguments and theories on it all in, in a variety of different ways uh, but ultimately we don't really know what it is uh, but it is all around us we can demonstrate it. We can experience it. We're all experiencing consciousness. We experience this world in a way um, that is similar to one another, but decidedly different. We can demonstrate that. Um, we have dreams that in which we, uh, we we sometimes are a different character, right? We're in a different place in a world. Uh, sometimes it seems very real to us. So, uh, And some of us even have had the experience of where um, two people are occupying the same dream, and that's a pretty weird one. Uh, so again, what, what do I make of this stuff? Man, I don't know, right? I know for sure I don't know. Uh, but it is fascinating. Uh, but to me, it certainly does lead us in ways that is um, very contrary uh, to the mainstream narrative we're given at every level. Perhaps right. it's fair that, to mention uh, piezo crystals, just to give an example of how uh, things sure. interact in this mm-hmm. universe. Precisely. And that's a perfect segue right into the next point that we need to make here, and that's panpsychism. Exactly. Uh, if yeah, you want to describe like what that, that yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Baldini, you want to go ahead and define panpsychism for everybody? Well, um, you know, re- really when you get down uh, when you get down to it. So, uh, again, um, Rupert, um, Rupert's residence. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Sheldrake um, is really he, again, he really pushes this idea um, uh, that goes from morphic resonance to, to panpsychism. Right. And that everything is um, in 
contact with one another, right? That there, there is, um, uh, again, a, a universal consciousness. And uh, to some degree, I mean, it's, even, it's been posited uh, that the universe is God and uh, that, that all um, – in fact, at one point, when I still believed in the in the uh, universal model as presented that uh, with galaxies uh, and uh, that sort of thing, right? That it seemed to me to be like a holographic view of one another. That it looked very much like what we were presented with the idea of an atom, uh, and that you've got a like a mini solar system and it's scaled up, and and you see similar things within um, within organic structures. And so, you know, I, I thought it was. Um, you know, uh, possible that uh, all of what we observed in the universe, when I considered it, you know, an infinite universe with uh, with galaxies and star clusters and that sort of thing, could be, for example, the, like the molecules of God, right? That it's this giant being, and so it really um, uh, these these ideas that push um, uh, th- this idea, well, the that everything uh, is everything is everything, right? Um, so everything um, is conscious and everything's create or yeah everything is conscious and everything's interconnected so yes. that, that's basically the whole idea of panpsychism even what we would consider non-living things natural things natural everything. non-living things everything yes. but this is the important part all natural things anything that kind of uh, uh self-assemble or or you know um Self-create or self-organizing or, or systems. Self-organizing systems. I think yeah, that's, right? the, that's. Yeah, the I think that's the. Defi- I think that's the definition that they use. Is that any self-organizing system is a natural system, and and right. exhibits these same characteristics uh, of um, sentience, right? So whether it is uh, rocks or water or plants or animals, uh, at, at every level. Uh, the idea that we are um, everything, mentality is fundamental, it's ubiquitous within the natural world, it is everywhere, and that everything uh, that is material in a natural way in a self-organizing system is demonstrating um, a level of sentience and consciousness and that it is, uh, by extension, all connected and part of the same thing. Right, and this goes, I think, to directly to the idea of karma, uh, that uh, you cannot do anything that is not connected to everything and y- yourself. And this idea, um, you know, that uh, you cast your bread upon the waters, and in many days it comes back. Right, that when you throw a rock into the water and you see those ripples go out, they come out, but when they hit the edge, they come back. Right, and they form again these um, various structures that are constructive and destructive. Uh, in the same way, uh, we see this in all waveforms. And so, to me, the idea that um, uh, that we have waveforms, we have energy, vibration. Uh, it is not a material thing, but it is uh, all energy and energetic vibration. Uh, and we are interacting with each other in a way that is conscious, but that we are unconscious of or unaware of, um, that we do not perceive it, um, it largely because we've been told not to. And again, I, I think if we look back at the ancient cultures, they were far more aware of the nature of this than we are now. And we've, we've been taught to poo-poo everything the ancients said is um, because they were knuckle-dragon Neanderthals who <laughs> didn't know their ass from a hole in the ground. And they were so dumb, they thought the earth was flat. Yeah, Oops. and see that there, there's there's an important uh, concept people could really derive from all that. And that is that everything within nature is conscious and it's all interconnected it is kind of like the the consciousness of god it's all all tied together through some unseen sort of uh, medium that uh, we have trouble describing i would describe it as ether i mean yeah. that's that's that's, that's what how I, I would describe it. it as the ether 
we're mm-hmm. all connected through this ether, this this immaterial thing that we can't measure nor nor see or uh, you know even prove that it's there per se in conventional terms here physically. But we're all this stuff is all interconnected. And and here's the key though: everything that's created within nature, all self-organizing systems created in nature or naturally, yes. mm-hmm. are have this sort of consciousness to it. Now, uh, I do see, uh, you know, that uh, there are nanotechnologies and stuff that do this self-assembly and and self-organization and stuff like that. But these are man-made things that will break down over time. These are not going to uh, go on ad nauseum forever, much like the natural order would do should we just leave well enough alone with it. Uh, Like, the Earth will always self-correct. Like, we've seen this time and again. If uh, there's a city or something and it's abandoned, well, guess what? Everything grows up and around it and completely covers over what used to be there, and it's gone. Exactly. Go back so, and go look at Chernobyl right now, right? How yeah. quickly uh, that has yep. been taken back by nature, right? Precisely. And I mean, you can go back to you know Diogenes, who, who says that uh, the universe is alive and full of spirits, right? Uh, and, and that even goes back further to Aristotle, right? Who says, um, basically, some say a soul is mingled in the whole universe, right? Um, again, this idea of panpsychism, uh, uh, that there is this ubiquity uh, of animation, that everything is alive and conscious, even those things that seem not to be. Uh, again, again, if you want to look at mineral things, rocks and uh, mountains, uh, that sort of thing. And again, uh, most, again, ancient cultures uh, considered the idea that, that the trees had consciousness, right? right. Uh, that would wood nymphs and these kind of things uh, come from that, those mythos. Uh, but again, I can't disprove it. And when I get out in nature uh, and I get a sense of it, it does feel as though uh, the the nature is is watching me, right? That that I am right. um, a part of it. And and again, I come to this idea that it seems from my observation that everything the controllers have been doing for the last three hundred plus years uh, has been to put into man the idea that that somehow we are ascendant by removing ourselves from nature and that we become above it. And it's a sort of apotheosis uh, to to uh, separate ourselves from nature. Uh, and and it couldn't be, again, that couldn't be more untrue. The, the opposite is true, yep. that we are only uh, who we are when we're within the midst of, um, the, you know, the universal consciousness, that, that we cannot truly be who we are and we are separated from ourselves, if you will, uh, when we separate ourselves from nature and from each other and again going back to this idea of what um, this current social distancing uh, nightmare is about is to separate you uh, from this morphic resonance field uh, of other people so that you are unable uh, to communicate with them and especially covering their face because again you cannot see their micro expressions you cannot see them smiling or even speaking Uh, you you are now cut off from them and you become uh, so alone and, and again this has been proven over and over that this kind of isolation will make you crazy that it will it will affect your consciousness uh, and your mindset and your emotions because we need those connections and so it will literally make you crazy they are trying to harm people and it, um, it's a very uh, difficult proposition for me to look at these days it's and I and I see the the results of it uh, but yeah okay so back to the idea of uh, panpsychism yes that uh, everything is alive and uh, universally conscious uh, and uh, to take it one step further um, that that is um, that the, all together, the summation of these things are um, creates purpose. 
right? That there, that is the purpose, uh, is to understand that that that, that it, there is a uh, a will, right, that overrides and overarches all these things that um, the universe knows. And if you again separate yourself from it, you are separate from it and cannot uh, complete your purpose. Right, and uh, you know, just to you know, point this in a in an, another direction now, uh, going back to what you said at the start of the show, where uh, as if you look at it from the perspective that all of nature is conscious in one shape, way, shape, or form, well, then by extension, the sun, the moon, the other luminaries also have some form of consciousness too because they are natural self-organizing systems. So when you look at it from that perspective – it causes, you know, some interesting thoughts, interesting thoughts, interesting questions, you could yes. do. right? And it brings up some interesting questions. But so, you know, when you look at it, is there a way we could prove that? No, probably not. But uh, maybe because it all comes back maybe. to waveform. The entire universe, in my opinion, based off of observation and experimentation to some degree, it's all waveforms. Everything is waveforms. Be careful when you use experimentation. There's there's some guys that'll get, get after you on that. <laughs> Not going to mention names, but um, some mm. people um, they only want to hear about uh, scientific uh, experimentation. I was and, thinking uh, more like think, along the lines of meditation and all that. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I tuning what in. You're I think I think that some of those people who uh, do that are short sighted because I could say I experimented with drugs. It's not a scientific experiment. I experimented in the kitchen. I experimented in the bedroom, right? Um, suddenly you're a libertine. No, uh, <laughs> sorry, no, make those kind of jokes. But um, no, you're you're absolutely right that um, I think it's measurable. I, again, I think can you prove it? I think proving some of the conclusions would be difficult, but can you uh, prove aspects of it? Absolutely. We can we can measure. We can demonstrate the electromagnetic fields. We can measure. Um, certain aspects of what we would say this is morphic resonance. We can measure certain things, describing how it interacts with one another. That's the more difficult um, pro- process is to show a hypothesis and a, and a direct cause and effect relationship. And that would be a difficult proposition. Uh, but uh, certainly, again, as Wayne says, the, the questions that it brings up are, are profound and fascinating. And this is why, again, we suggested this at the, at the top of, of being such an interesting topic is because these are the questions, these are the foundational questions that have led to all of what we now know is the multidisciplinary um, aspects of science altogether is to try to answer these questions and and to me that that's the most I suppose even ironic bit is that um, while this is the foundational question and ultimately you get to why um, none of those questions can be answered and when you have all of the the research that's been done over these millennia and we think we know so much this question still is the most difficult one uh, to answer and has remained unanswered and in fact the closer we would come to answering it as we said at the top of the show, um, the more it disproves um, hypermaterialism <laughs> and what scientism is now, which is just, I think, um, the it would be hilarious if it weren't uh, so frightening and sad. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, indeed, and that's that's the thing. It, it, you just gotta wonder, how did we as a society go so far astray from what? could be accepted as these true natural things, these true natural sciences and stuff. How did we veer so far? And we were, you we know, were taught to respect authority and then, and then authority. Precisely. Right? Precisely. Those people that put themselves in the position of authority, they, they held sway over us by first of all, using the tool of secrecy to keep secret knowledge from us, to keep 
these ideas and stuff from us and hold sway over us with that. And that's still one of the biggest tools that uh, these people use today, secrecy. And well, and let me let, let's put this cap on it, right? The very word occult means to hide. It's hidden. Mm-hmm. And so we say, okay, it's hidden. And then now and then they reinterpret the word occult to mean evil. Evil, evil wickedness, the hallelujah. Could it be Satan? Uh, and so anything <laughs> occult suddenly is, you know, satanic. Uh, so don't look there or you're going to burn in hell, right? And so uh, this this creates a uh, again a great way uh, to hide something in plain sight is to say, okay, it's occult, it's hidden. And we're going to hide it, and where are we going to hide it? Behind Satan, <laughs> right? Don't look there, right? Uh, and, and yet, you know, when you tell kid, uh, a kid, you know, don't don't look in the box. The first thing they're going to do is look in the box, right? But but when you make it scary, right, and you put the boogeyman on top of it, that's going to, and then you know, tell you your eternal soul is going to be damned if you go looking in that box. That changes the game a little bit. Uh, so again, just by redefining the word occult, um, they they've made it scary, right? So we're we're yeah. afraid to look at the truth. And they do that with so many things. They they redefine words and terms all the time. And it, you can see it's the whole uh, language game again. The words have meaning game. Yep. Just like so anarchy, right? Right. So. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of thing. They just twist and pervert uh, the meanings of these words and terms. And, you know, they even names and stuff like they, they just twist everything all around and turn it into something that it was never really originally intended to be. Exactly. And they do that all the time, even even with ideas and stuff, too, that we have. So it, it's it's really kind of disturbing when you look at it, the way they twist things around and rewrite history and, and stuff like that with these different ideas in mind and knowing full well that uh, they're they're keeping some kind of knowledge from us. And only a select few people are going to be privy to that knowledge. And that's how they maintain control. Yeah, to one degree throughout the millennia yeah throughout the yeah. millennia these secret societies right in the in the right. mystery the mystery schools uh and intentionally yep. i think that's why they started in the first place exactly yep, yep. And, the, and to them again and this is um one of the fascinating um pieces of psychology that i see right is that uh they get people to believe that they're doing a virtuous thing uh by ultimately harming others by keeping information from others they're keeping it from the profane people who would misuse it and in fact but where, where in fact they are the ones who are misusing it uh and, and so again it's a fascinating thing that people uh by, by again uh, teaching uh the willing student lies and then he repeats them and he is sincere but sincerely mistaken and so this is ultimately leads to the answer when you start revealing lies to people and they're like but why would they lie you mean my teacher was a liar well your teacher wasn't lying to you but they were told to lie and so all they could do is repeat the lie that's all they could do right and so right. only those uh, in the position to know know uh, but everybody else is sincere but sincerely mistaken but it's up to you but they also teach you again to respect your elders well it's a good thing but to respect authority and then they hand out authority only to those who are in on the game or uh, again willing participants and they simply want to be patted on the head and told that they're doing a good job how do you do that by re- by telling again repeating parroting regurgitating what these um you know controllers say and that's how they get uh that's how they get the cheese and everybody you know wants to get their cheese right and they they do this in a lot of subtle ways and they they like to use people's good intentions against them a perfect example of this just happened today well guess what aunt jemima is not gonna be anymore there's not going to be a name brand aunt jemima pancakes or syrup or anything like that anymore because uh you know well somebody got offended 
Right. So they took people's good intentions, and now they're going to eliminate this product and the history of this product uh, from existence. So and now the people who won't was, know. Who was named after, right? Who, who absolutely. Um, yeah, the person she was named after, who was actually one of the first uh, black yes. millionaires yes. ever. Yeah, and she used she, her, she sold she used her, her rights. She sold her rights to to her her food products that she made to yep. uh, the Quaker Company, and was one one of I think the first black woman in America who became a millionaire. Yeah, and she this. used her money and for good, right? Her money and influence for, for good. And people will not know this now. They won't know the full history behind it because now there's, there no they're Angela looking Mama. at this. Right. There's looking at this as this is a symbol of oppression. Well, no, it really wasn't. I mean, but, you know, that's the thing. They use people's good intentions. That's the thing. People, nobody wants to support a product that is you know something that's based upon slavery or something like that well nobody okay, so wants here's, to do that so they're so taking slaves. people's good intentions and using them against them yeah. so okay so same thing with, with slavery a product that, that made somebody made this woman a millionaire and you know she did a lot of good work with that money and stuff nobody's ever going to know that now and now it's going to disappear from the face of history and nobody's going to know the story behind it or, or anything else about it or even the roots of, you know, the slave culture or whatever that it was pointing out this this whole uh, stereotype of they, they're not going to know that they're going to try to delete that from the history books now moving forward. That's how well, they now, write history on this. Exactly the same. Right. Good intentions, slavery and history. They're removing all these statues of these um, Confederate generals and personalities. Right. Under the name, under the guise of it's offensive. Right. It just shows racism. Uh, but but it's a temporary thing. Keep in mind, again, they're, they're trying to influence people with emotion. They're getting the getting them to do an emotional response instead of a considered thoughtful response. They cannot think things move at the speed of Twitter. Right. And so they burned down uh, history. Uh, so now just consider that it wouldn't Settle take down, but Blue two hair. more generations. Sorry. It wouldn't take but two more generations. No, not you. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, two more generations. Oh, me? I'll settle down. Yeah, you. <laughs> We're all blue hairs here. I, I'm the blue hairiest. I'm the oldest guy here. Uh, mm. But but all they got to do, again, is remove these statues under the name, uh, oh, it's offensive and represents slavery. But in two generations, uh, the, people wouldn't ask, who is this person? Right. So they simply wipe it away. They can wipe away all of history and rewrite it. And just let's say they wanted to erase the whole idea of the Civil War. It wouldn't be that difficult because the oh, last – Oh, it's uh, getting there. The last people who, who um, you know, the, the gal who was the last one receiving a Civil War pension just passed away. Uh, so now everyone who was alive is now dead, right? Again, it only takes a couple of generations until um, the history can be completely rewritten to the point where the uh, they don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect this has happened many, many, many times uh, throughout the course of human history. Um, oh, the, yes. For example, the, the burning of the Library of Alexandria, right, where they wiped out um, the totality of human knowledge or a great deal of it in one swell foop, if you will. Uh, so uh, to, to me, again, uh, them removing uh, Aunt Jemima, removing the statues, these historical statues, is far more sinister uh, than, than just a response against the, the evils of slavery. It has to, it's very, it's exactly Orwellian. Uh, by removing all the past history, they can immediately rewrite it into be whatever they want at any time. There's a it's Wikipedia, uh, and- right? They change it in real time. Yeah, right. This is the whole barn wall idea from Animal exactly. Farm. It's, yep, it's exactly. exactly what it is. They're going to just rewrite it all. And now this whole era of the human experience, 
that uh, has shaped so much of what our modern society is right now is going to be wiped clean at, at some point here within the next two, three generations. Nobody will understand, like, we'll, we'll know who these, you know, that these statues even existed, first of all, or, or what they were commemorating or, or what the real story was behind it all. So there you go. That's how you just completely erase and rewrite history. Uh, and it's it's a sad thing, really. And then you got to take into consideration the way that they're trying to keep us all separated and stuff with this whole coronavirus lockdown thing and the social distancing and all of that, the whole nine yards of that nonsense. People aren't going to be communicating about this stuff anymore, like after this. Like once it disappears and it's gone from the history textbooks and the older generation passes on. These younger generations, they're only going to know what their computer tells them that has happened. Well, a lot of people are already there. Can change it, can change right, every change day. It, change it, a click of a button. And then you introduce the idea of the Mandela effect, where we can't trust our memories. Things have changed, and then you can't. Did I, did I really, or did I not? And I find that fascinating. That this is exactly the story. Of Animal Farm, the barn wall. They couldn't quite remember. Um, this is, uh, but we're being taught. Was it Ed McMahon? Ed, 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 was it was it American Family, or was or was it Sweepstake? Was it the um, you know uh, the the other sweepstakes? So uh, can we can we not quite remember? Were the engines jet engines in the front or in the back? Um, I, I thought I remembered it one way. Did Dolly have braces or not? Um, so when some things apparently do change and other things we're not sure, but we're told everything is just misremembering. You can't quite trust your own memory. You can't trust your eyes. Uh, it, it looks flat, but it's round. Uh, it, it feels like it's stationary, but you're moving at millions of miles an hour when you add it all up in eight different vectors. Uh, you, you can't trust your own senses. You know uh, it's senses. real because it looks so fake. Because it looks so fake, right? You know I'm a genius because I sound like a complete dumbass. Elon Musk, um, right? So when you add these things up, they're telling you, you don't trust your lion eyes, don't trust your own senses. Listen mm -hmm. to us, listen to the authority. If it's not, you know, Anderson Cooper telling you, if it's not on a trusted authoritative source, it's fake news. You can't believe it. Uh, so that that seems to be the the takeaway message that's happening right now. You can't trust your memory, right? You you can't trust your senses. Uh, you you can't be trusted uh, even to make your own decisions because um, you don't have the right to say no. Uh, to a to a vaccine, uh, so so they're taking away uh, your right to choose and your ability to choose, as well as um, your, many people's desire to choose. They'd rather just be told what to do. It makes it easier. Just tell me what to do and let me do it. Um, so uh, again, we here, I think all of us support the idea of doing exactly the opposite. Start with a, a foundation of skepticism. Assume everything they say is untrue or misdescribed, and, and move forward from there. Because we'll, you know we can demonstrate that almost all of it is in error well, precisely and that that's a whole thing in and of itself the the whole mandela effect idea uh, it, it's kind of disturbing to look at because it, it, i think everybody to one degree or another is affected by this we all have these memories of things that have changed and you know we've seen how you know, disturbing this could be on the face of it because, you know, it, you do kind of start questioning your own judgment and your own memory. And uh, that's kind of the place that they want us. So that's kind of one of the tools that they're using to get us to really question our observations. So 
you know, it takes away a whole huge chunk of the human experience when you learn by your own direct observation and stuff like that. If you can't trust that, then your fallback is to trust an authority figure to tell sure. you what to do. And, and that's, as we demonstrated that's kind of what over, they're looking for. Right. As we demonstrated over and over, they need consent. Uh, and so when you uh, take away a person's ability to make a thoughtful decision and simply consent by proxy, Right, uh, we defer our decision because you're you're smarter than us, or they get into a crowd mentality. Uh, again, Twitter outrage. Uh, yes, because these you know um, gerbil lives matter. Right, when, again, when they push a, a narrative, um, they they take people's good intentions, right, and they uh, twist them. And so they, people just now defer their decision making uh, to proxy to whatever the crowd is doing, and this cult like mentality that uh, you can't speak out in any way uh, that challenges that or or you're done, right? And they, they're going to burn you down. They'll take a, a tweet that you put out five, six, seven years ago uh, and say, nope, that, uh, that's not acceptable now, <laughs> right? So you, you shouldn't have done it then. Uh, and, and so, again, the, the, this entire thing to me seems uh, like to get people to uh, willingly – uh, kind of consent in advance. Yeah, whatever you say, what, whatever you tell me next, okay. Uh, what are you outraged about? I don't know. They haven't told me yet, <laughs> right? Uh, I haven't got my tweet yet. Uh, they'll tell me wh what to be pissed off. I mean, we see this. Um, you, now you're going to cut your hair short. Uh, women, cut your hair short uh, to either uh, show uh, support for BLM. How does being a skinhead help with that? I don't get it. Or um, <laughs> I just saw uh, news reports today that are coming out saying that women should cut their hair short because that will help with COVID. Again, doesn't make any sense, but but it seems like their intention is to get women to cut their hair off for, for whatever purpose. Um, and, and to me, again, remember the idea that in the Tula Society uh, and in many other, um, uh, again, cultures, uh, long hair is, again, with this antenna, right, that um, there was a, that group of uh, Native Americans in World War II that they were uh, expert trackers. Yep. And they uh, when they got them in, they cut off all their hair and they couldn't do it anymore suddenly. They didn't have the same senses. And they said it was because that was their antenna. And according to, again, in the Tula Society, the uh, Theosophic Society in Germany prior to World War II uh, with uh, Blavatsky, um, they, uh, they grew their hair very long and they said it was a, a spiritual antenna uh, so that it, gave, it fed their intuition and helped them tune in uh, so back to what Wayne was saying earlier uh, right with this um, you know morphic resonance being a weird antenna we're tuned in to this and we're supposed to be listening um, that that hair may have something to do with it and that may be why they want uh, women to cut off their hair uh, so they're uh, can remember women's intuition you think there's a connection there with long hair uh, and, and intuition? Uh, I think there could be something to it, right? So uh, now they want women to cut off their hair for, for a variety of reasons, which all seem, uh, again, like they're, use your good intentions, whether that's to support, um, you know, uh, the oppressed people or, uh, to, you know, help keep people safe with the, 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 the beer bug. Uh, they want them to cut off their hair. It's, it's weird. And they're doing it, right? They're doing it. There's a video that apparently is making the rounds from about six years ago that someone sent me <clears throat> that I speak to uh, in England, actually, and I tore it apart for him, and it was this woman doing a lecture on how the term white people and the concept of white people didn't exist before. I believe it was the 1600s. I don't remember what year. And I tore it to shreds, and I pointed out to him that this woman is completely just stirring the shit in the pot to do so, and... <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. She was acting like the only time that racism and classism, and she was intermingling the two, ever existed was when white landowners 
completely overlooking the fact that the reason why the colonies were there in the first place was because the king of that country, of England at the time, put them there. They gave them the land and backed it up with the power of the British Empire. And, of course, it wasn't just the the English doing it. It was also the Spanish and the Dutch and the French, you know. It's amazing to me that people were just... They put something out like this, this video. It goes viral and all the outrage and all that. It's like, I don't think you're realizing history. I mean, I knew all that stuff that this woman rattled off in this thing since grade school. It was just simple, basic stuff about how the colonies reformed and everything. But she twisted it in a way and, of course, put a socialism slant into it. Don't think it, I, I missed that part. You know, this is the kind of nonsense. And maybe we could tear that apart sometime if we wouldn't get the stream pulled. But it's insane the way she just tried to paint the picture of how white people were evil. It's like, no, people who are in charge always want to stay in charge. You just happen to be pointing out that in this case, it was white slave, uh, white landowners who did have some slaves, and not all slaves were black. You know, like these things were over and over and over again. Humans are tribal. Humans also like to uh, idolize things and look up to things and. And all that. So the whole thing is crazy. I mean, they just completely overlooking the fact that in the late 19th century and early 20th century, the Irish, especially in New York after the potato famine, were completely smashed down upon and used as slaves. Uh, they didn't use that term, of course, but that's what they were. They were completely abused beyond all belief. Why? Because they could be. Because they were Apparently, coming in droves. Apparently, the first slaves in the U.S. were uh, 100 Irish children that, that came over. Um, before uh, any um, darker-skinned folks came over, the first slaves were 100 Irish uh, kids uh, that were sold into slavery. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, slavery is bad. It doesn't matter, you know, what uh, what you put on it. Selling another person is, you know, to me, inherently evil. But, um, you know, back to, again, the idea that there are uh, twisting uh, history and, and presenting it in a way that, that is untrue, right? Fundamentally untrue. Uh, and uh, not just history, but again, we've demonstrated over and over they're presenting the material sciences, they're presenting uh, medical science, right? They turned it upside down from a natural, uh, healthy, uh, nature based system to uh, allopathy, uh, which is psychopathy, right? It, it is death, it, it institutionalized death. Right, but under the under the guise of of healing, uh, and most uh, doctors now believe it because they're told they're doing good uh, without any idea. They never ask about what are you eating, you know, what are you, what are you doing, um, what's your emotional health like, right? <laughs> they never ask those questions. Here's a here's a pill, right? Because I got to make some money because I got to pay off my student loans, yeah. um, and they're and they're doing good, right? So, um, th- but they have they have misrepresented every aspect. Uh, of the natural world that uh, if, if you think there's anything behind the veil, uh, especially that there might be um, sentient beings right out there uh, that you can sense, you're crazy, right? You need it. You need a pill, <laughs> right? Oh, uh, don't look at the sun because that that's uh, that'll blind you. Uh, so no sun gazing for you. Uh, you know, don't trust your lion eyes. Uh, the, the people, the ancient people were so dumb. They thought it was flat too. Mm. <laughs> you dummy. Right. Uh, so, so, um, they take every narrative, turn it upside down and a uh, gaslight you tell you that you're crazy or stupid, uh, or, um, you know, just downright, um, bullheaded. 
if you don't uh, if you don't take these i mean even now that we're seeing numerous articles come out uh, that say that people that refuse or uh, push back against mask wearing are, are psychopaths right or are mentally ill and uh, i can't count the number of times in the last 3 years that i've seen articles appear and some of them in you know peer reviewed journals uh, that that say people who believe in you know conspiracy theories are mental uh, and uh, going from crazy to now dangerous Right. Uh, um, and and th this is, you know, I think, uh, again, dangerous to us because that is how we're being presented uh, to the rest of society. And many of them who believe it because, again, they've deferred uh, their decision making process uh, in advance to those in authority and those in authority say this and they just follow right along uh, and it creates its own consciousness. So back to this idea of consciousness and panpsychism, uh, they're creating an alternate reality if you will uh, that people are many people are living in and that's why you feel so weird and alone when you wake up from it right because you're not in the same reality right so absolutely and that's it's a key point when you actually start to see through all the the bs that we've been you know inundated with throughout all of our cultural conditioning and stuff like that you, you do start to feel a little lonely, and it's good that, uh, you know, there's there's people like the, the good folks in our chat room and stuff that are all uh, connecting nowadays and able to talk to one another and realize, hey, you're not alone. There's people that are seeing through it, too. So, you know, it's, it's good. I think we're at a, a very important crossroads in our history right now. It's, it's a great awakening going on, and uh, I, I think there's still a lot of hope to turn around some of these uh, more nefarious plans that the power structure has in mind for us. So I think it's imperative that we keep on talking and keep on trying to, you know, help people to, to see through the whole illusion that is the paradigm that we're in and, you know, just talk about these things, put it out there in the public perception so that people could see it and realize, you know what, you're right. That doesn't make sense. Like, why, why is this? And then they start to question things, and that's the whole key. That's, that's the whole door. That's the door to getting to a better, brighter future here is the to start to question things. Right? <laughs> start yeah, questioning and things, and that's where we're at, and that's why it's important that we talk about things like the nature of consciousness and stuff like that like we have tonight. Well, and this is a great place as we come to the, you know, we're at the top of the, the second hour now. Uh, this is a great place for me to um, sort of plug uh, the Awakening Project. Uh, I'll spam it uh, in the chat there. <laughs> he just starts laughing, I know. Uh, the Awakening Project, uh, send me an email, unintended.consequences at gmail.com. Uh, and that uh, really, I started a, pro a project that I first announced here, uh, the first on January 1st on Secrets of Saturn, uh, to try to determine why some people wake up and some people do not, uh, and what uh, what those characteristics are. And so we're well into the deep into this project now. I've got more than 350 respondents. If you'd like to join in, uh, send me an email uh, to again unintended.consequences3 at gmail.com, uh, and then you can, uh, if you like, uh, subscribe to my channel. Just a uh, like. 
just 120 or so short of a uh, thousand subscribers. So that would help. Uh, but start with uh, episode one, uh, which is a, a welcome from Baldini. Uh, and that kind of gives you some background into the, uh, the concept and ultimately uh, not just try to identify the characteristics, but if we can come up with uh, something of a deprogramming script uh, so that we can identify those who might have a predisposition uh, toward seeing the truth uh, and then some ways to land some seeds in fertile soil and to choose the right soil because you, you don't want to, you know, cast your pearls before swine or, uh, um, you know, that, that sort of thing, play chess with pigeons or <laughs> however you want to term that uh, to your time. Never try to teach a pig to sing because it wastes your time and annoys the pig. Wayne, any final words before we sign off for the night? Right. So you want to you want to choose uh, people who are going to be worthy of your time, uh, or you or you're going to be frustrated. Right. So. Alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me. I have been posting more things on my Alchemical Tech Revolution YouTube channel lately, and I, I do plan on uh, trying to continue to put out more content on there as well. In fact, I'm going to be uploading a short video once we go off the air here tonight, too, so uh, people could look for that. Um, also, just working on my third book right now. Hope to have that out by the end of the summer. And that should be an interesting one. A lot of research and stuff put into that one as well. And it talks about, uh, you know, the current state of things and where we're heading. So uh, with that, uh, I will, I'll be on again uh, doing Sola Scriptura with uh, Baldini on Sunday. Uh, we're going to figure out a time because I think we, I might have to change the time for okay. this coming week. So okay. we'll, we'll figure out what time and get that posted as soon as we know. So, uh other than that, I mean, uh, you know, just the usual stuff. I have books available, blah, 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 people know. So, <laughs> you know, look for those. And uh, what, what do you got coming up uh, tomorrow on Crow 777 Radio, Jason? Tomorrow we are releasing an episode with the one and only Kurt Kallenbach. And he, uh, he once again, had some new information to share. So we had a great discussion and uh, let's see, who do we have after that? Um, well, we haven't recorded that one yet, so I guess I'll leave that. Uh, I'll leave it as is. Anyone have any final oh. thoughts before I uh, sign us off here? It looks like we we're having some buffering issues for a while here. Uh -huh. Oh, and uh, Rose Triple Seven and I will be uh, back for uh, the Poppycock Report uh, tomorrow morning, early six o'clock Pacific time, uh, nine o'clock Eastern, as we uh, look at more Poppycock and uh, take a more uh, lighthearted view uh, of, of the craziness that goes along around us. So I, I put an hour to that in on every Tuesday and Thursday morning at Rose Triple Seven channel. You can find us there. Uh, so we got that, and then I do my uh, live stream Saturday mornings uh, at on my channel, Unattended Concert consequences at 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific. That's noon Eastern time, UTC minus 7. All right, that's going to do it for us. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely appreciate everything. Everyone have a great night, and we'll see you soon.
Thank you. 